Hello and welcome to episode 121 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRP. Join me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going really well. I'm really looking forward to this episode. Um, it's about an interesting time in the game's history. And weirdly enough, probably less to do about Rugby League and everything that was going on around Rugby League. Yeah, so this is following on from the uh, the 1994 episode we did recently, mm-hmm. and this this is time we're looking at the hectic 1995 season, and pretty much this is the year when rugby league was played out in boardrooms. Yeah, and and we've talked about this before. You could probably like sum up the footy in in a couple of sentences, and then just do a whole episode on the stuff that happened off of the footy field, uh, but we're going to try and weave it all together so that it's the complete 1995 um, season. Absolutely. So uh, let's hook in. And yeah. on the very first day of the year, January 1, uh, Bowman's second row, Danny Stapleton, was forced into retirement after lapsing into a coma during a game against the Gold Coast in 94. He said, I was very keen to play, but I went to two neurosurgeons and they both said, no way. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I wonder what he's doing right now and if he's had uh, any further problems resulting from um, concussions, I guess. Yeah, it'd be good to see if um, if he's been in touch with, with uh, Dr. Alan Pierce. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. In January 7, the coaches hit out at, the, at an ARL edict to ban them from the sidelines in 1995 following the ugly confrontation between Bill Harrigan and Phil Gould the year before. <laughs> uh, pretty mm. much doesn't know that Phil Gould was sitting on the sideline and he was hurling a bit of abuse towards the referees and Bill Harrigan decided he'd had enough of it and sent Phil Gould out, out the back. He didn't want him on the sideline anymore. Yeah, sent him off, basically. Um yeah, it's funny that the coaches blew up about it. I guess these days the only one I can think of that really goes to the sideline too much is Ricky Stewart. He likes watching the game from the sideline. The rest of them seem to watch it from the box for the most part. So yeah. I wonder if it happened these days if coaches would blow up or it would just be Ricky Stewart. <laughs> Ricky Stewart's good for a blow-up. Yeah, he really is. Um, January 8th... Um, Western Suburbs players reportedly deliver an ultimatum to club officials to guarantee all 1995 player payments or else they will consider walking out on the financially stricken club. Yeah, and I mean, this is after West, so they've basically been on life support for, I mean, nearly 15 years at this point. Um, And it kind of is, it shows it's the beginning of the end for West as a standalone entity at this point because... They were struggling so poorly. It was uh, kind of sad to see. And they would go on in the next couple of years to have some teams that were historically bad. Oh, absolutely. Um, January 21, the Knights confirmed that the club has been served with a summons relating to the termination pay of former coach David Waite. Things got a bit ugly there with coaches during the, uh, the mid-90s with the Knights. Yeah, and um, interesting that we're starting to get a little bit of uh, court action happening. Yeah, it's already starting early. Yeah, yeah. Um, and more here on January 22. Uh, Western Suburbs creditors have agreed to be paid only 20 cents for every dollar they owed, saving the club from possible liquidation. Wow. The club rules out player payment cuts, meaning players like Jim Sedaris will remain in the club's colours. Yeah. I mean, tw- can you imagine 20 cents on the dollar? 
I suppose it's more than what James, uh, Alan Bond had to pay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a very good I point. I think he was one cent in the dollar, wasn't he? <laughs> that was a good deal. Mm. Um, South Sydney captain Craig Field is sacked by the club's charity for sorry, sacked for the club's charity shield clash with St George. Not too sure what he did there. I dare say it was something um, unsavoury, given what's happened to him in recent times. <laughs> yeah, he was one of those players that, like, uh, who would you... Dis- he was probably a little bit like a Todd Carney in that he could play really well, but he... And Todd Carney, it was different things, obviously. Todd Carney was just being silly. But Craig, Craig Field, it was like, just when it looked like it was all coming together for him, something would happen, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, could go off the rails. Yeah. Um, January 25, the Broncos announced they will appeal to the ARL over the league's rejection of the contracts of a number of senior players. Um, that came over some concerns, I guess, that they were over either over the cap or paying them too much outside the cap, I think it was. Yeah, and at the, to set this up too, the Broncos have had a lot of gripes with the basically the ARL, New South Wales Rugby League. They've been called a couple of different things at this point. Um, And this is starting to build. So now they're starting to have problems with them at basically every single level. Like anything that goes against them, they blow up about. Anything that happens in the game, they're not happy with. And it's really starting to get bad at this point in 1995. Yeah, they're like disgruntled teenagers at this stage. Pretty much, yeah. Um, January 29, it's been reported that Graham Langlands is going to be returning from the Philippines to scotch rumours that he has contracted AIDS. I'd, I'd never heard about this one before, so this, th- that was news to me. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard about it. It was one of those things that had been like lost, and when it, it was brought back up, it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Really strange. Really, yeah. really strange. And I guess, too, the thing about, um, I mean, people look at AIDS differently now than they used to in terms of, like, back in 1995, there were ads on TV basically saying that this was an epidemic that was going to sweep through the population. And uh, so, yeah, oh, if somebody that's right, was... The, the reaper with his 10-pin bowling? Yeah, yeah. So if, uh, you know, for a, fo- a footy player, former footy player, to be... Rumoured to have AIDS like that. That was a big deal. Mm. Uh, January 30, News Limited bosses and ARL officials meet for further Super League discussions. Mm. I'm sure they went well. Surely they did. <laughs> um, February 2, the Magpies signed a $1.8 million sponsorship deal with Korean electrical giant Gold Star. I guess that got them out of a bit of financial strife for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Not a bad one. Hmm. Uh, February 3, the ARL cancelled their annual uh, chief executive conference in order to hold urgent talks with News Limited proposers of the Super League tournament. Now, they're calling it a tournament there. That's interesting. Well, tournament competition, yeah, same sort of thing. They, I think that... I don't think even at this stage the ARL were taking them as seriously as they should have. Yeah, I agree. And it, look, it's understandable because the ARL had a lot of things already set up. Like, there, mm. there was really, if you're from the ARL side, you're hearing these proposals and you're like, we don't need to do any of this. We're, we've already got our plans in place. We've got our media contracts in place. Like, you, then they weren't really offering anything new, but that wasn't the whole goal of Super League. 
No. Um, February 4, the ARL announced they will not defend legal action threatened by the Brisbane Broncos over alleged salary cap breaches. Yeah, so they let them go by the wayside. They had bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Uh, next day, the Roosters threaten legal action against the RL if clubs are forced to amalgamate. Now, this is a really interesting one because at this time, the Roosters are a bit of a nothing club. Like they were, they were kind of like the Gold Coast Titans of the uh, New South Wales Rugby League going into ARL at this point. They had had no success for a long, long time. They had, I mean, they obviously weren't producing great players. Uh, any of the players they were signing were journeymen, and they really just were nowhere as a club. Um, and then for them to talk about amalgamation, which is really interesting because the Roosters then go on to look to amalgamate with pretty much every single club in Sydney. Yeah. Um, good to see they followed through with that threat too. Yeah, yeah. Well, they like to make big statements like that. That's right. Uh, February 6th. The 20 Winfield Cup clubs unanimously reject New Zealanders' proposal for a Super League in 1996. Kerry Packer uh, was involved in the meeting and had a huge say, which swayed most of the clubs. Now, it's got to be said now, Kerry Packer owned the television rights for Rugby League in Australia, and my guess is he probably said, if you go this route, I will sue everyone. Probably, and I believe he also had the, the pay TV rights, even though he didn't have a pay TV network. Is that oh, really? Right? Uh, well, the, the ARL had done a deal with Optus Vision. Um, and so, I mean, all of the media, th- this is a thing to remember, all of their media deals were set. Mm. Like, it weren't like it wasn't like they were coming up. And they were longer-term media deals as well. Yeah, they so, were. But, but yeah, Kerry uh, Packer and Channel 9, they had... They had a stake in all of this, and that needs to be remembered that all of these media companies have a stake in rugby league at this point, whether they have contracts with them or they want in on a contract. Yeah, and we're going to hear an awful lot about contracts and how utterly pointless they were at this stage. Um, The first one here is when the ARL asked the clubs to sign an updated contract, pledging their allegiance to the head body for the next five years. Yeah, and uh, that's an interesting one. Now, they had previously in 1994 on the Kangaroo Tour, they'd done something very smart. They got the Kangaroo Tourists together, the elite players in the game, and they said, oh, just so that you're eligible to play for Australia, we just need you to sign these loyalty agreements. And the players were like, yeah, we'll sign them, we'll sign them. What they didn't realise was they were signing away their right to play in any other competition. Now, at the time, it really didn't seem like much, but it would become a very, very big thing in the game over the next couple of years. And now the ARL is trying to get the clubs to do something similar. That's right. That's um, yeah, a lot of uh, smoke and mirrors going on in, in 95, and that, that's that's a good example of how a lot of it ran. Mm-hmm. Um. February 7, the Broncos refused to sign the loyalty pledge on the grounds that the agreement was not appropriate to the circumstances of a private club, which is what they were. Um, And the following day, they signed a modified loyalty agreement, six and a half hours after the deadline had expired. Yeah, and my guess is that loyalty agreement would have allowed them to compete in the competition that year, 
probably had a lot to do with things like um, insurance and, and stuff like that, but also obviously left the door open for other things that were happening at the Broncos. Yes, um, and convenient timing here because the day after that the Broncos signed that loyalty agreement, a Brisbane court was told that the Broncos could be uh, facing a $1 million fine unless their salary cap dispute is settled. Yeah. And uh, the day after, the Broncos and Arrow settled the differences in a private meeting between Paul Morgan and John Rebo as, alongside uh, league bosses Ken Arts and John Quayle. I'm wondering how much of that salary cap was ignored in return for don't cause any more drama. You would think so. You would think so. And the thing is, the Broncos at this time, and I've said this before, I think that the team that they had around this era was the best team they ever had. Uh, maybe, I mean, I think it was better than the team they had uh, even during Super League, the Super League season. They had a lot of great players in this team. And they they did things like, I remember reading Wayne Bennett's book, and he was talking about how they they needed some new forwards and so they signed Glenn Lazarus, the best forward in the world. Yeah. Um, February 12th, the Telegraph reveals that patrons were forced to pay up to $37.50 to a, for a ticket to the Tuish Challenge opener at the Hyatt Regency. Now, the uh, the Tuish Challenge was a short-run Challenge Cup pre-season tournament that went on before the competition kicked off proper. Yeah, um, and it was pretty much a way to... Because we have trial games, and we've gone back to having just regular trial games where they give the players a run, have all sorts of weird lineups, they even use different rules to give players a break. But at this stage, they were trying to monetize it and make it mean something. And so that's what this competition was. Yeah. Uh, February 15, Cronulla shelved plans to merge with either St. George or Illawarra. Now... A merger with St. George would have been pr- pretty much the death of the Sharks. But if they had have merged with Illawarra, that would have been really interesting. And I think it would have been absolutely massive for both clubs. And I think it would have been a good move. I agree. I agree. Uh, always hoped that Cronulla and Illawarra had a merge, but uh, not to be. Mm. February 19, the ARL are investigating ways of privatising the game. Yeah, and they're on the back foot a little bit with that one. <laughs> yeah, someone's already come up with that idea, guys. Mm. Uh, the next day, bookmakers step up their lobbying of the state government to have betting on league legalised. Yeah, now, footy tab was, I remember when that kicked in, and, like, we take it for granted now you can bet on rugby league. Um, but back then you couldn't, which is kind of weird to think about, hey? Yeah. And had that, do you remember the jingle? Put your money, put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> Footy tab. There you go. Yep. That'll keep everyone tuned in. Mm-hmm. Um, February 26, Ken Arthurson sparks an uproar over the test captaincy when he says Ricky Stewart has taken over from Laurie Daly as a frontline contender to replace Mel Meninga as Australian skipper. Daly says he's prepared to quit the Raiders to captain another club. Now, the thing that needs to be brought up here is... The Australian captaincy is obviously, it's there to be taken. Mal Meninga's retired, long-time Australian captain. And the ARL realised that that role is coveted by the game's elite players. 
and they use this as a tool to get play, the elite players on side. Um, we see it, the captaincy offered to different players. It is worth something to players, as we see here with Daly. Um, they offer it to a, they they don't offer it to different players, but they say you could be captain, and yeah. eventually that captaincy is is a very important. It plays a really important role in uh, the whole Super League war. It does, and the reason why Laurie Daly was um, involved in this a bit upset is because I think it was 1993, might have been Australia versus New Zealand over New Zealand, and Mal Meninga didn't play in the series. I think he was injured, and Laurie Daly filled in as captain. Mm-hmm. And so he was seen to be, because of that, the next in line after Mal. Mm-hmm. And this is obviously a move by the ARL to try and get Ricky Stewart to stay loyal to the ARL. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, February 28, Canberra coach Tim Sheens calls on the ARL to appoint the test captain immediately in order to minimise the fallout from the comments by Ken Arthurson and to settle a lot of drama at his club. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, it, it would have a terrible thing for them right now at the Raiders. They've they've coming off the back of a premiership win, one of the great seasons in rugby league history, and now their two best players are kind of being played against each other. Yeah. Uh, March 1, an unnamed Western Reds player is suspended for 22 weeks after returning a positive drugs test. Now, we don't know who this player is. No. So, but the Western Reds, have only, I mean, at this point, they're only just starting to play games. Yeah, they haven't even played an actual round one match yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, John Quayle reveals reserve grade could face the chop at the end of the season. Uh, he also says, uh, end speculation over the future of the Sutter Cup by saying it will be retained if the clubs want it. <laughs> and in like a couple of months from now, no one cares about the Salary Cup. Salary Cup goes out the window... I would say the salary cap doesn't end up being a real salary cap for probably 10 years. Yeah. Um, March 10, the season kicks off. And the first game is Auckland versus Brisbane. And the Broncos win a very tight 25-22 to 22 match. Uh, the following day, South Queensland and North Queensland play their first games. And then we've got on... March 12, the Western Reds, the the last, the fourth of the new teams, they beat St. George 28-16. It's also revealed on March 12 that nine clubs have signed with Super League to play in a 1996 breakaway competition just a bit over a month after, you know, all those loyalty agreements were signed. Yeah, and Super League had a really funny strategy, and it was a smart strategy the way they went about things. Um, they basically offered clubs the ability to, to to have a part of a Super League franchise that had the same name as them in the same location. And if they didn't do that, they said, well, we're going to start this club anyway, and we're going to leave you out in the cold. And so they it was almost like a threat to clubs. But the way they went about it was very, very smart. Absolutely. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, Ken Arthur and John Quayle rubbish the report saying someone is either not telling the truth or is living in fantasy land. <laughs> uh, yes. 
March 14, the International Rugby Football Board make the historic decision to allow rugby league players to return to rugby union. Yeah, so rugby union is now professional, a professional code. They saw the writing on the wall a little bit. Um, Super League was starting to, or the the idea that there was going to be um, a war for players started to to really gather momentum. And Rugby Union knew if they didn't start to really pay players, they were going to have all of their players just taken up, especially when you look at the where the ARL found itself. And even over in England with the Rugby League over there, there was so much money starting to get involved in it. And so Rugby Union decided to go professional. And in some cases, it was really just they decided to start paying taxes. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, March 15. A meeting between uh, New Zealand boss Ken Cowley and Ken Arthurson sparks talk of a peace deal between the two organisations. Arthurson said, Mr Cowley reserves the right of his organisation to approach clubs on separate deals such as sponsorships, but said any Super League proposals would be directed via him. Yeah, that didn't so, turn out to be the case. <laughs> yeah. Ken should have read up on about, you know, what Germany got up to before World War Two kicked off. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um March 19, it's reported that the Arrow have discussed a two-tier competition structure in an attempt to thwart the advances of Super League. An elite 10-team A conference and a second-level B conference would operate within the framework of the overall competition. Teams in the second level would have the opportunity to qualify for the main final series. It just sounds messy. So, yeah, it sounds ridiculous. And But this was... Obviously, the ARL found itself in a weird position because it expanded to 20 teams for this season. And the whole idea was that they expand to 20 teams, but some Sydney clubs, they're going to die, and they were going to let them die off. Um, now, that process has already begun. We've seen it with the Western Suburbs Magpies. But some of the clubs, in particular Brisbane, Canberra was another club at the time, they, they were saying, like, we can't keep dragging these terrible dying clubs along with us. And so this is obviously a compromise um, by the ARL. They're trying to come up with reasons why there doesn't need to be breakaway competition, but but they're tr- instead of allowing these other clubs to die off over time, they're trying to speed it up with this conference style. And, and look, it sounds ridiculous. And you can see why clubs weren't, weren't in on it. Mm. Uh, the following day, Ken Arthurson warns clubs that they face expulsion from the competition, if found guilty of secretly negotiating with News Limited over a Super League. Which, at this point, almost all clubs were. Yeah. Um, March 26, the Warriors commit the cardinal sin of using five bench players in their match against West. And it yeah, just yeah. later, it, it yeah. later happened to be that those two points that they lost cost them a place in the finals. Yeah, which is absolutely terrible and would have been fantastic in their first season to make the finals. Yeah. Um, March 30. Make sure you've got your pants on, people. Things are starting to get a bit hairy here. It's about, yeah, it's about to get really interesting. News Limited launched landmark court action against the RL, aiming to set aside the loyalty contract signed by the clubs in early February. John Quayle said, We are extremely disappointed in News Limited. We were given no warning of this. However, I can say that our lawyers have fully considered the implication of the Trade Practices Act in relation to the agreements, and we're confident that those agreements will withstand any challenge. Now, keep in mind, just a few days earlier, 
News Limited said, look, we'll, we'll negotiate like advertising arrangements and stuff with clubs, but we're not going to negotiate Super League stuff. And a few days later, they go to court to start to, to try and challenge the fact that they can't do that. Exactly. Uh, the following day, Brisbane Broncos Chief Executive John Rebo announces his sudden resignation from the club. Do you wonder what he's going to do now? Yeah, he's not going on holiday. <laughs> uh, News Limited rep stage lightning raids in Perth, Townsville, Brisbane, Canberra and Sydney in order to sign players to Super League contracts. Players from the Broncos, Raiders, Sharks and the Bulldogs are the first targets. The Telegraph reports the first players to sign include international players Alan Langer, Laurie Daly, Terry Lamb, Dean Pay, Steve Runoff, Willie Kahn, Brad Clyde, Ricky Stewart, Brett Mullins and Andrew Eddinghausen. Now, one of the interesting things about this moment is that people that were working on behalf of Super League were travelling under false names to these places, so nobody knew that they were going there to, to do these lightning raids. Uh, really interesting time in the game. It was like a bomb went off when this was announced in the media. And this is basically, I consider this to be the moment when Australian media stopped being objective and started slanting everything because from this moment on, everything becomes that's in the media becomes propaganda for one side or the other in Super League War, and that never really left the media. Um, and you kind of have to read between the lines and a lot of stuff that happens in the media from this moment on as well. Exactly. There's so many agendas going on now. Mm. So now we're at the... Uh... At the big day, April 1, 1995, April Fool's Day, mm-hmm. and news breaks of Super League's raids on prime playing targets across the country. The Sydney Morning Herald reports that Kerry Packer will join the ARL in defending News Limited Super League Court Challenge. Long-serving board member Peter Moore stuns the league when he tenders his resignation. His decision follows that of many of the Bulldogs players, as well as coach Chris Anderson, to sign uh, Super League contracts. John Rebo arrives in Sydney to begin the day-to-day running of Super League. Yeah, it, it, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. Um, well, let's start with Kerry Packer. Yeah, Kerry, so Kerry Packer owns the TV rights for Rugby League in Australia. So he's basically just shoring up the investment he's made in the Australian Rugby League TV rights. So, and you get a lot of this from this time in the game. You get people say, oh, well, this person was trying to protect what rugby league was all about. And this person wanted to have this happen for the game and stuff. It was all about television rights. And that was it. It was not nothing beyond television rights. And that's all Kerry Packer was doing was just protecting his investment in the, the broadcasting rights for the game. Um, Peter Moore, he was on the ARL board and with, he, he also was obviously running the Bulldogs now, with the Bulldogs having negotiated with Super League, it put him in a really bad situation, and that's why he had to stand down. Yeah, he was also very a long-time and very close friend of Ken Arthurson's, and he didn't mm-hmm. want to be opposing him on something like this. So I think he took the noble option in, in his mind, and probably overall, I guess, too, in the situation, to not be involved with the club anymore, which is very sad for the Bulldogs because he was a brilliant administrator. Yeah, and it, I mean, this was a a weird time in the game that a lot of long-time friendships were destroyed and it's remained that way to this day. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things broke down over the Super League War and that was really the first 
really public thing that happened. And I think it really, I mean, in a way, it tarnished everyone. Oh, certainly did. All right. Let's get into this uh, first two-week period here. This is going to be lengthy. It's crazy. This is crazy. And keep in mind, we're not talking about rugby league at any point. <laughs> no. All off-season stuff, yeah. off-field stuff, sorry. April 2, there are reports that Bradley Clyde has signed a contract with News Limited worth $7 million over seven years. That would make him one of the highest-paid players in the game today. That's insane. Insane mm. money then. Um Sharks, Raiders, and Bulldogs are given a week to convince ARL officials that they shouldn't be expelled from the Premiership over their Super League dealings. The ARL announced a system by which players who remain loyal to the league will receive grants worth as much as $100,000 each. Um, The ARL announces that players who have signed with Super League will not be considered for rep duties. Paul Morgan from the Broncos offers to act as mediator between News Limited and the ARL. He said... I think it's fair to say we have been critical of the current ARL setup, but we believe the administration should administer the game. And that he's talking about the ARL administration should administer the game. Um, Morgan also admits that the Broncos would switch to Super League if the majority of their players signed up. Ken Arthurson makes an impassioned address to fans at Brookvale Oval, pleading for the public support in the battle against News Limited. Alan Jones Football manager at South Sydney blasts the Super League concept, saying it's not Super League, it's Super Greed. This is this issue is not about footballers, not about players, not about the public. This is about a quick quid for a handful of people. And young Cronulla prop Adam Ritson decides to reject Super League after earlier having accepted a contract worth two hundred fifty thousand dollars plus a substantial cash bonus. He had been offered a twenty four hour get out clause, which he utilised. Yeah. <laughs> Very, very busy. That's a so busy much, April 2nd. So much happening, so much happening. It's interesting that the, the ARL really used, uh, and everyone's putting out public, they're putting out statements and they're trying to win the minds of fans and stuff. And in some cases it didn't work, other cases it did. The ARL's line to fans was basically they're trying to take your game. Yeah. And it worked to a certain degree. Um. But, yeah, I mean, it's just – it turns into the greatest silly season that's ever happened in any sport that I can think of. It's kind of funny, though, that the – after hearing that Bradley Club has been going to be offered a, a $1 million a year contract, that the ARL's mm. only cancer that was to give people up to $100,000. <laughs> yeah, and, like, $100,000 in this whole, like, scenario is nothing. But the, uh, and we've said before – there were probably more millionaires in, the, and just of players I'm talking about, more millionaires in the game that were about to be made than there maybe has been since 2000. Oh, of course, yeah. It was... Like it, there were so many millionaires, it was crazy. We've already we've already got Super League underway for two days. We've already seen some players being offered 250 grand already. Mm. That's not even to sign a contract. It's just money going around is stupid at this stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, April 3, Roy Masters suggests that the current competition may have to be suspended and the State of Origin series cancelled following the News Limited raids. The Canberra Times reports that the Raiders are prepared to sue the ARL to save the club from expulsion from the current competition. Ricky Stewart rejects the offer of the test captaincy from the ARL to stand by his decision to sign with Super League. Federal Communications Minister Michael Lee says the government will not interfere in the ARL News Limited wrangle. And the ARL hit back at Super League by signing more than 50 players. 
Newcastle and test prop Paul Harrigan pledges his allegiance to the ARL, and that's a big one. Yes, and one of the things, and, and this goes back to the Australian captaincy, they said that if he signed up, he would be the Australian captain. And he does end up captain in Australia in one game. Um, just so much happening. What an incredible time. It was very hard to follow at the time. The thing I want to say too is, of all of the people in the media, Roy Masters was one of the very few that understood, that, that kept clear on what Super League was about. And he, he talked about, he was writing at the time about what both sides were doing. I think of all of the journalists at the time, he was the one to me that stood out. And he was definitely on the ARL side. There's no doubt about that because everyone was on the side. But mm. I think that his writing at this time was very, very good. And very balanced, given what it, was going on. Everyone was very, was very passionate one way or the other. And he was, while he was ARL aligned, he was pretty balanced about it. 100%. Um, April 4, Ken Allison hints that clubs would not be expelled from the competition in 95. We don't want to punish loyal fans for the actions of irresponsible officials, he said. Mal Meninga denies he will become involved with the breakaway competition. Newcastle players hire a minibus to drive between the rival camps seeking advice and offers. Here's one you'll, uh, <laughs> you can expand on. <laughs> Former international Michael O'Connor joins Super League as contracts manager. <laughs> now, the rumour is, and I think it's been confirmed actually, is that Michael O'Connor was crawling through windows <laughs> to talk to players to get them to sign <laughs> Super League contracts. It's really interesting because when he switched from rugby union, he talked about he almost had a bit of a disdain for the fact that he 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 turned his back on the amateur code and become a, a professional player, and so for him to be acting in this sense, it, it's very interesting, you know. And it showed. I mean, everyone was doing weird stuff at this point. It's almost like he's acting as a wrecker, I guess, of the establishment. Like, this is his way of saying, oh, I'll show you, mob, that I don't like you, and I'll do this. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it was an interesting one. And it's something, look, it's, I mean, it's one of the first things I think a lot of people think about when you talk about Michael O'Connor, which is really sad because he was a very good rugby union player. He's a very good rugby league player as well. Yeah. But it's one of those things, and there's a lot of things that happen out of this moment in Super League where entire players' careers get tarnished by things that are said and things that they do and and talk about. They broke this contract. They broke that contract. They went to court. and But everyone was doing this at the time. Like, there was nobody that wasn't doing this sort of stuff. That's right. Uh, John Rebo claims Super League would deliver state-of-origin standard football every week. He also said that there is now no chance of reconciliation with the ARL. And the Brisbane Broncos move across en masse to Super League. Yeah, which wasn't a shock to anyone. <laughs> no. Um, April 5, Graham Murray, coach of Illawarra, is sacked by the club's management for his involvement in Super League. Uh, Mal Meninga endorses Super League in full-page newspaper advertisements. An ARL delegation including Quayle, Fulton, James Packer and Phil Gould meet for further talks with Ricky Stewart and later head to Brisbane to meet with Brisbane Broncos players. An ARL press conference in Sydney turns ugly when Paul Vorton abuses a News Limited journalist. Jeez, I wonder who that might have been. <laughs> News Limited boss Ken Cowley warns that Super League contracts are nuclear proof. 
and players would be prevented from defecting back to the ARL. Manly stars Matthew Ridge and Ian Roberts agree to join the Rebel competition. Rupert Murdoch raises his Super League budget from $75 million to $300 million, leading analysts to predict he's on the verge of signing the British and New Zealand leagues. Shane Richardson, football manager at Cronulla, resigned citing a conflict of interest over his dealings with Super League. And Auckland chairman Peter McLeod resigns but denies it is linked to the present situation. I mean, where do you start? <laughs> I mean, for me, the, the big thing out of that is Murdoch just going, yeah, 75 mil. Let's just bump it up to 300 mil. Yeah. And look, at this point, News Limited just wants the rugby league rights. And his, this is the background story. Pay TV in Australia is at its absolute infancy. And they know, News Limited knows they need the rugby league rights if they're going to have any chance of getting into people's homes in New South Wales and Queensland. And they, they just flat out have to have the rugby league rights and they will do anything it takes to get them. $300 million is a gigantic amount of money, but they're playing the long game. They're talking about, they're thinking in their heads over 30 years, you know, over 40 years. This is an initial investment to get into homes. And it, look, at the end of the day, you've got to say that they got exactly what they wanted out of all of this and that, that it was worth it. You know, it was absolutely worth it to them. And that's mm. why they were able to come up with all of this money and justify it. Absolutely. Um, but it, it, I think it just showed, too, it was a bit of a, a bit of muscle flexing from Murdoch, too, because I reckon he had a fair idea that the ARL didn't have that much money. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. The ARL had built up a, a bit of a war chest um, before Super League hit, but it was just a general sports war chest. I mean, sports don't have $300 million lying around. Um, right. so, and th so they knew there was going to be a point where the ARL couldn't outspend them. And then so they were like, yeah, $300 million. Let's see what we can do with that. Uh, April 6, Tim Sheens and Wayne Bennett criticised the involvement of Bob Fulton and Phil Gould as ARL negotiators. Now, the reason for this is Bob Fulton is the Australian Test coach. Phil Gould is the New South Wales Origin coach, um, saying it gives them a potentially unfair advantage in future dealings with players. Rupert Murdoch claims victory in the Super League battle after just six days. I think we've just about won it. It's no longer the Rugby League. It's the Packer League, but it's just about finished, he said, from New York. Um, Ricky Stewart yeah. rejects overtures to defect back to the ARL. Super League announced the signing of the Great Britain and New Zealand leagues. Ken Arthur says Super League clubs Canberra, Cronulla and the Bulldogs would not be expelled from the 95 competition. Super League executive John Revo and Broncos spokesman Chris Johns face a grilling from the panel of Channel 9's footy show. Yeah, I remember when that happened. That was mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. Um, and I believe it was uh, Ray Hadley really went off on them. Yes. And, and, Ray, and Ray Hadley has said that he was a little bit embarrassed by the way he carried on. I don't think he, he carried on too badly, to be honest. Every, the emotions were high with everyone at this point. I mean, you look at what we've talked about just in the last week that's happened in Super League. Um, and yeah, Rebo and Johns were there and, and they had some pretty tough questions to, uh, to ask of them. And they were in a position where it was hard to justify what they were doing. 
Yeah. Um, the funny thing about this is you've got the newsletter guys on Packers Channel 9 show. It was yeah. never going to be balanced. No, no, it wasn't. Um, but they needed to get out there. They needed to get on TV mm. and, and start pushing this and, and, and being uh, visible in the public. And, you know, you've got to remember back then the internet wasn't a big thing. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting. The other thing was when when Super League signed up uh, New Zealand and Great Britain, this is the start of isolating the Australian Rugby League internationally. And it's one of the things that the Australian Rugby League had in their favour. And it was a smart move by Super League because uh, the ARL is offering this Australian captaincy to players and they can't play anyone. So it's it's worth nothing if they start signing up all of these other teams. That's right. Uh, April 9, Ken Cowley announces most of the Auckland Warriors have now signed with Super League. The Sun Herald claims that 20 rugby union stars will defect to Super League after the World Cup in South Africa. IRL chief Ken Arthur says England's decision to commit to Super League has ended future kangaroo tours and placed the 95 centenary World Cup in jeopardy. Andrew Reddinghausen announces his decision to sign with Super League. And just just for something a bit different, the South Queensland Crushers surprised North Sydney 16-12 to claim their first premiership win. Yeah, there was footy being played at this time. Yeah, that's right. That was, that was isn't, going on. Isn't it weird that during all of this, there was football being played at this time? And at the time, it didn't come across to me as being so. But looking back, it almost would have been justified if the competition was suspended. Yeah. Because so much was going on, and, and clubs and and players, and I mean, it was an absolute mess. It was That's a real right. mess. And I guess the only reason why it continued was because they had media contracts that they had to put football games on. Yep. That's pretty much it. Uh, April 10, North Sydney officials meet with representatives of Super League. Uh, two of the game's greats, Mal Meninga and Johnny Raper, have a clash at a Super League information meeting at the Cronulla Leagues Club, which was where Meninga allegedly said, I played for 16 years and what have I got afterwards? Absolutely nothing. And I, look, yeah. I would suggest that's the biggest regret of Mal Meninga's career because that still haunts him to this day. It does. And outside of that, he's been a wonderful servant for rugby league. He is, Absolutely. I mean, one of the icons of the game. And it, the weird thing was at this point, Mal Meninga was like, I mean, he, he was like a god. You yeah. know, he, he'd done everything in the game. He'd been on more kangaroo tours than anyone. And when he said that, he broke hearts. Yeah. And angered a lot of people. Really did. Really did. I would love to talk to Mal Meninga about that because, I mean, you know, can you imagine doing all the stuff that Mal Meninga did, even up until that point? And since then, he's done legendary things just in coaching. But that, that still gets attached to him. Yeah, it's it's the worst thing he said. Even after he's after everything he said in his political career. Yeah, his, <laughs> I think his political career was a highlight. Actually, I think Compared he worked that it out. Was. Man, this is ridiculous. I'd say I he's the most him. honest politician we've ever had. I exactly, exactly. That's what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> um. News Limited threatened to cut the Illawarra Steelers from their Super League plans unless they reinstate coach Graham Murray. 
April mm-hmm. 11, the ARL New South Wales Rugby League commenced legal proceedings in the federal court against News Limited over the formation of a Super League competition. Now, they're going to fight this legal battle for years now, and the lawyers will get very rich. Uh, there'll be a lot of people in the administrations that will fall by the wayside while, while this legal battles continue in, in, in court. Uh, this is when it really, really starts. Oh, yeah. Uh, North Sydney reject an offer to take up Super League's Northern Sydney franchise. Malcolm Riley, coach of the Knights, pledges his support for the ARL. Cronulla supporters demand that any decision about the club joining Super League be put to a vote. More than 40 players from Illawarra, Manly, St George and West attend a meeting at the St George Leagues Club to receive an update from the ARL about the latest developments. Rugby union authorities in New South Wales and Queensland declare that the sport is no longer amateur. And St George players and coach Brian Smith meet with News Limited representatives to determine just what is on offer. Yeah, everyone was having to listen to what was being offered. And it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Players, their salaries were going through the roof. And just every player. It wasn't just the stars. Like, everyone was getting signed up. Reserve graders were actually worth something now. Yeah. And so they, they were literally going and having giant meetings and seeing what was on offer. Uh, April 13, Western Reds coach Peter Mulholland faces a sack over his involvement with Super League. And Kerry Bowstead, the chief executive of North Queensland, quits in protest at his club's negotiation with Super League officials. Yeah, and there was uh, a lot of that sort of thing happening. People yeah. were quitting on principle over different things. And I think that's why it was so heated, because there were people that were standing on principle and saying, look, look I don't agree with what we're doing as a club. And then other people we're looking at it from a dispassionate point of view and it ruined a lot of friendships. That's right. April 16, Chris Anderson, coach of the Bulldogs, reveals he's been sacked as the country coach because of his involvement with Super League. On April 18, leading referees Bill Harrigan and Graham Annesley. <sighs> Annesley. A sack by the ARL <laughs> after signing contracts to join Super League. Harrigan describes an offer by the ARL to remain with them as a joke. Yeah, and Bill Harrigan in particular, he made a lot of money. <laughs> Especially yeah, was, for a referee, absolutely. Yeah, and like I would dare say that he was probably making more money at this point than referees today make. That's um, possible. Yeah, yeah. So, and that the referees back then, I mean, I guess they were not too higher than like what we would be seeing from park referees in terms of pay scales and stuff. I mean, they would have been earning a little, uh, quite a bit more than a park referee, but they weren't full-time professional referees like we have today. No, not even close. Uh, Wayne Bennett, who early announced, I don't want to be part of a farce in regards to selectors overlooking star players who had signed with Super League. Uh, agrees to stand down as Queensland State of Origin coach. His place is taken by former Queensland player and Channel 9 commentator Paul Vorton. Yeah, and, and Fatty Vorton was in an impossible situation at this point as the coach. Yeah. No and way so we're going to make that work. And with pretty much 
all of the teams who provide players for the the Maroons origin side all being with Super League and therefore not available for selection. Yeah, it's an it's a it's it's an unwanted task, that's for sure. Yeah. Um the ARL announces no refunds will be made to fans who bought tickets for the State of Origin series despite their intention to ignore Super League aligned players. Paul Harrigan replaces Mark Sargent as Newcastle captain. And <laughs> former test referee Greg Hartley offers to make a comeback after another referee, Stephen Clark, signs with Super League. I would absolutely have loved to have seen that happen, hey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Parramatta fans wouldn't have. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. There was a thing there you said when Mark Sargent was replaced by Paul Harrigan. That caused a little bit of an issue because Mark Sargent was like... Mark Sargent was like Paul Harrigan before Paul Harrigan. He was the Knights. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, powerful prop forward mm. runner too. Yeah, good um, guy. April 21... The Herald publishes a letter from three of Australia's all-time great players, Bob Fulton, Reg Gaznia, Johnny Raper, to Mal Meninga, expressing their disappointment at his stance on the Super League issue. The ARL steps up its legal action against News Limited by suing for millions of dollars in damages. ARL Chairman Ken Arthur says federal court proceedings were expanded to include a claim for damages worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Super League Chief Executive John Reber announces a full British Lions tour of Australia and New Zealand for 1996. He was confident. <laughs> yeah. But it's and, all uh, propaganda at this point as well. That's like, right. that's what you've got to remember. And Super League needs to show, like, we're doing this. This is happening. We've got plans. It's not just signing players. They've got to show that they will be running competitions at this point. Yep. Uh, the following day, Super League ref Bill Harrigan is ordered out of the referees room at Cogra Oval. <sighs> It's just amazing, amazing that the Super League War even went as far as the referees in that division there. Yeah, yeah. And, and it really was. You had, who was the ARL ones? I think Manson was one of them, was he? Yeah, yeah, David Manson. the other one? Um, uh, there, was a couple, there was a couple yeah. of other ones. But it, it was. There was a Super League split in the referees. It's fantastic. Uh-huh. <laughs> April 23. The French Rugby League is poised to sign with the Super League, causing the ARL to be further isolated. Mark Guy is placed on report for allegedly throwing a ball at referee Kelvin Jeffs. <laughs> um, April 24, Tom Rodonicus, coach of the Western Suburbs, is appointed to coach Country Origin. Illawarra Centre Brett Robwell applies for release from his Super League contract. Australian scouts descend on England to sign players for ARL clubs. And the Country Rugby League confirmed that no Super League players would be selected in its team to meet City. Yeah, so at this point, the ARL is using its power to not select these these Super League players, uh, Super League aligned players. And I mean, it's it's a big thing. I mean, there's rep rep uh, payments that, and they weren't very big back then, the rep payments. But the honour of playing rep football was huge. Yeah. Uh, April 25, Martin Afire pledges the rest of his career to Wigan, leading a charge of British players to the new English Super League competition. Didn't really stick to that, though. Nah, he was gone a couple of years later. Ended yeah. up playing for the Bronco, London Broncos. Salford. Yeah. <laughs> uh, April 26, 
Eddie Ward and David Manson sign upgraded ARL contracts worth up to $80,000 a year. I would love to know what the modern day referees earn, hey? Yeah. I, I would bet it's, it's about... I bet it's about the same sort of level. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. April 27, City Country matches transferred from Marathon Stadium in Newcastle to Steelers Stadium after Knights officials claimed that the absence of Super League players would affect crowd figures. Wow. Broncos coach Wayne Bennett endorses a proposal for a charity match to be played between Brisbane and Canberra at ANZ Stadium on June 12, the same night as the third State of Origin match. I'm glad that Wayne Bennett decided not to be part of a farce, hey? Yeah, yeah, it's good he stuck to his guns there. Yeah, he's good like that. Um, a Newcastle consortium lends its support for a separate Super League side for the Hunter region. Yeah, and this is when we found out a lot about Newcastle people, hey? Like, uh, yes. they didn't take too kindly to this at all. No, not at all. Uh, April 28th. Roy Masters reports that secret peace talks have been held between ARL and News Limited. Super League announced a Hunter consortium as the first official franchise. Um, Gordon Tallis signs with Super League. The protracted battle over the future of New Zealand star Ruben Wiki is settled out of court when Auckland agreed to allow him to continue playing with Canberra. Now, my guess is with the Ruben Wiki thing, that was probably part of the Super League um, dealings because... There was a contract wrangle between him wanting to stay at the the Canberra Raiders, but he'd signed a contract to go and play for the at this stage Auckland Warriors, and I would guess that the Auckland Warriors dropped that because they knew that what was coming up it, it didn't really matter. Like the contract he had signed didn't matter anymore because yeah. he'd signed Super League contract. Uh, April twenty nine, Ken Arthurson claims a compromise deal with News Limited could be struck within days. Now, right. I can't imagine what that deal could have been. Do you? Well, the only one that I, that would come to mind is that the game would be... Um, Super, Super League would get control of the game, but mm. the ARL administrators would run it. Yeah, and I guess, I guess with the media contracts they had, maybe News Limited had said that they would pay those out or something. Um, there would have been because, a lot of money have to change hands because the big thing that they, they would have had to do there was pay out Packer. Exactly. He would not have wanted to relinquish the rugby league. Yeah, definitely. Um, but once again, they're playing the long game. You know, it's yeah. it's going to be worth it to them if they can get a pay TV box in, in so many homes in New South Wales and Queensland over the next 30 years. Uh, April 30, closing out the month. Yeah, one month. Um, Ken Arthurson says John Quayle will not be sacrificed under any ARL Super League compromise deal. Phil Gould, coach of the Roosters, complains about the Warriors' use of drums at Ericsson Stadium, which he says are intimidatory and unfair. God, he could, he could even whinge back then. Oh, like no one else. Yeah. And the Cowboys win their first match, surprising Illawarra 14-10 at Steelers Stadium. Nice, and footy's still being played. Footy's still being played, and what a chaotic month. It really was. Um, May 1, John Quayle is asked to leave a meeting of 16 premiership clubs convened by Newcastle chairman Terry Lawler at Sassany Leagues Club. Lawler tells club officials that some clubs wouldn't attend the meeting if Quayle was in attendance. Quayle describes events as 
the worst in my time as chief executive. Clubs agree that a rationalisation of their numbers is necessary, but they do not determine a timetable for this to happen. Yeah, and of course, it's never themselves. It's other clubs. It's those, you know, it's always someone else in rugby league that needs to be rationalised. That's exactly right. Vested interest at their absolute peak right there. Yeah, and ha- it, but it only has been in place since 1895, so... That's true. Um, May 3. Former Labor Senator Graham Richardson, acting as an ARL negotiator, offers the Newcastle Knights a financial rescue package. The Courier-Mail reports that rugby union star Jason Little has been offered a $6 million deal by Super League. And Gary Jack announces he's come back with the Sydney Tigers, while Brett Kenny opts against making a comeback. Now, these plays weren't that that old. Um, no. And so it makes sense because these players, it'd be like Jonathan Thurston now, if all of a sudden players started earning 10 million bucks and reserve graders were getting like a million bucks, of course he'd come back. Exactly. Um, May 4. Claims of a best-of-three grand final system will operate as part of the ARL's competition plans for 1996. What a terrible idea that will be. Um, May 5, 11 ARL-aligned clubs initiate legal proceedings against Brisbane and Canberra after those clubs admitted taking up Super League franchises. Yeah, that's a weird one. (laughs) There's just court cases everywhere now. Mm. May 7... Network 10 has offered Canberra and Brisbane 300 grand to televise a charity match between the clubs at ANZ Stadium on the same night as Origin 3. The Brisbane Broncos risk losing their premiership points by playing hooker John Driscoll against the Western Reds. The ARL had ruled Driscoll ineligible earlier in the year because his contract put the Broncos over their $1.8 million salary cap. If they were paying their players $1.8 million, I'm a monkey's uncle. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> like they might have been playing well, three the report, times that. The report was, remember at the start of the year, that they were close to a million dollars over. Mm. And then when you hear that Bradley Clyde's been offered a million dollars a year, ooh, 1.8 million doesn't look like much at all anymore. Exactly. Um, May 8, Ken Arthurson claims the game is in an almost irreparable state. State of Origin selectors overlook Super League players when naming teams for the opening match of the 95 series. Unknown Gold Coast teenager Ben Eichen is named as a fresh reserve for the Maroons. Yeah, and I mean, the Queensland team at the time, it looked... I mean, there were players that you were like, who's this dude? And their story of uh, Ben Eichen getting in the elevator at uh, when the Queensland team first got together... And Fatty Vaughan said, nah, mate, sorry, you can't come up here. And he was like, I'm your 5'8". <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's very funny. The New South Wales team looked pretty good, though. But the Queensland yeah. team looked so bare bones. It was. It was very threadbare. May 9, former Maroons coach Graham Lowe lashes out at Paul Vaughan, labelling an ARL puppet. Paul bagged me, the team, and some players and gave us no hope in 91, Lowe said. If he can do half as good a job building up the team for this series as he did tearing them down in 91, they'll go close to winning. Wow. <laughs> that's that's one worth keeping. Well well to, said, to be, Graham. To be fair, he is on the money. He, he is on the money. 
Um, boy, he, he um, they come back and bit him on the ass pretty hard though. Those words. Yeah. Yeah. May 10, the ARL board ratified their two-tier competition structure for 1996. Brisbane and Canberra abandoned plans to play their charity game. And what else have we got here? Penrith coach Roy Simmons and the 18 of the club's top 20 players announced their signing with Super League. Yeah, now this was interesting because obviously I'm a Panthers fan. And during this ARL Super League stuff, I mean, I... I was kind of on the side of the ARL. I didn't like, and it was because I didn't like the way this was all happening. And I never felt like, well, my team had signed with Super League, so I'm Super League now. I just never felt like that. Like back, even back then, um, I was a fan of the game first, and what my club did didn't necessarily guide me as to my my opinions on the sport. Um, So yeah. Yeah, I was I was definitely IRL aligned, but you know, mm-hmm. I was kind of a historian, so I liked I liked the history of the game and all that sort of stuff. I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, on May ten, Ken Arthurson threatens to bypass the New Zealand Rugby League and select a team of Kiwis chosen from from ARL clubs for the three test series against Australia. Yeah, as an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he still wanted to have test matches because he needed that that um, international cherry, but he yeah. had no no other nations to compete with because they'd all signed with Super League. Yeah, and they, I mean, they were, they were so isolated and they really struggled to put anything together at all. Um, and that was a really smart move by, by News Limited to do that. And as I said, that whole thing of, like, you could be a Kangaroos player, you could be the Kangaroos captain, it goes out the window if they can't play anyone. Exactly. Uh, May 11, Arthurson vows to sue any Panthers player who has signed with Super League after having already signed a contract with the ARL. Brad Fittler hits out at his club's decision to switch to Super League, saying, the first I heard about it was in the newspaper. And I dare say that it, there's some people that made out better than others through the Super League war. Brad Fittler was probably one at, at the top of that list, maybe. Um he got a lot, and look, he was one of the best players in the world at that point. It's not like he was given anything, you know, he wasn't handed anything. But certain people come out of it. I mean, Phil Gould, he was another one. I think the Sydney Roosters as a club, by a long, long way, they made out better from Super League than pretty much every other club did. Um, but yeah, Brad Fittler was definitely in the ARL camp, and that has to be remembered. Yeah, he was always there too. Mm. Um, May 12, 42 days after the Super League was announced on April 1, John Rebo reveals an Illawarra franchise is the preferred choice for the 10th and final position in the Breakaway League. Ken Cowley claims victory in the Super League battle and offers ARL boss Ken Arthurson a noble surrender. The ARL is flooded by faxes. Um, for people who are younger than us, mm-hmm. uh, faxes, faxes are like text messages on paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they were crap. Let's make it that clear. Um, the ARL is flattered by faxes from clubs formally declaring their loyalty to the News Limited Breakaway competition to begin in 96. The clubs are Broncos, Raiders, Sharks, Bulldogs, Reds, Cowboys, Panthers, Warriors, and a Newcastle West consortium. Which is interesting because Newcastle Wests now owns the Newcastle Knights. 
They do. Swings and roundabouts, almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the ARL launched a series of TV commercials aimed at rallying public support against the Super League. Uh, May 13, Ken Arthurson says further talks between himself and Ken Cowley are pointless if Super League continue in their aim to take control of the game away from the ARL. Manly. Oh, that's that's low. Manly are offered the 10th Super League franchise. Which was never, ever going to happen. No. But <laughs> that, was, that was when it got personal, yeah. like, real personal, between the Super League and Ken Arthurson. Arthurson. Diehard Manly man was a you know ran the club for many years was a former player of theirs absolutely loved them so for Super League to go and talk to Manly that's going after Arthurson's soul that is yeah and it's funny because at this time there was a feeling that like the Manly Seagulls got preferential treatment in the league because of Ken Arthurson running the competition I personally don't think that was the case at the no. time like when you look back at it. I don't really see where the preferential treatment come into it. And there was also this idea that they got preferential treatment from the referees, which I, I didn't really see either. No. Um, but yeah, going after the Seagulls, and, and as I said, they were never going to get them. It's interesting they didn't get North Sydney, though, because Super League's goal was to have basically four teams in Sydney, North, South, East and West. And... When I mean, North Sydney were a very, very strong club at this point. And when you look back at it, it was a really bad decision that they didn't pick up Super League. Oh, absolutely. Super League license, really, really bad one. Yep. No, I fully agree. Cost them, big, well, cost them existence, really. Everything, yeah. Uh, John Rebo claims a breaker competition will begin in 1996, irrespective of federal court action. Kind of doesn't work that way, John. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, li- I like your tenacity, but, yeah, that's not how it works. Mm. May 14, the Rugby League radio audiences dropped by 75,000 as a direct consequence of the Super League battle. Kent Cowley offers the free-to-air rights to Super League matches to Kerry Packer during an interview with the Radio 2UE. Now, here's the thing. They only care about the TV rights. All of this is about TV rights. And Kerry Packer will get what he wants at the end of the day. And News Limited will get what they want at the end of the day. And you just got to keep that in mind when you're hearing all of this stuff. Because all of these people were saying, we just want what's best for the game. We want the place to be superstars. We want the game to go worldwide. It was all crap. It was just about television rights. And Yeah, and that's right. But this move here to allow Packer to still keep the uh, free-to-air rights was essentially a way to, I suppose, take away the money and power base that the RL had with Packer mm-hmm. on their side. So this is t- trying to take Packer out of the picture. Very smart move. Mm. And I guess that I wonder if News Limited come to a determination that it would save them so much money basically giving up those free-to-air rights and that it wouldn't affect the pay TV rights too much. And so it was just a compromise on their behalf. Pretty much. Uh, May 15, the ARL initiated new legal action against Super League, seeking injunctions that the clubs be restrained from unlawfully releasing players from their existing contracts, contravening their constitutions and breaching their loyalty agreements by being involved in a rebel league. Mm. The following day, the federal court grant those injunctions with clubs agreeing not to release players from existing contracts and News Limited 
giving an undertaking not to induce clubs to release players. The following day. (laughs) None of it matters. The following day, ARL Chief Executive John Quayle confirms that 10 players have sought releases from their ARL contracts. Um... May 18, the ARL asked the federal court to give absolute priority to their legal action against News Limited. May 20, South Sydney Australian lock forward. Les Chikikawi passes away in Sydney. Absolute legend of the game, Les Chikikawi. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's sad that, you know, usually when you have a, a player pass away, especially a former test player, you, you'll get like a day or two of just memories and, you know, recollections and biographies and stuff like that come out about you know, what they did and, you know, great appreciation for them. And any legend who passed away in 95, their, their passing was just, it was like a small bit of news in the, you know, 10 pages in from the back page somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, even when you look at the, uh, I mean, it was the centenary of rugby league uh, in 95. Yeah. And even that celebration, it kind of was brushed aside, like, to be honest, nobody really cared because of all of this stuff that was happening. Utter chaos this was. Um, May 21, Dean Payne and Jason Smith turned their backs on Super League and returned to the ARL. Jim Dimmick is reported to be considering following them, and a fourth Bulldog is said to also be rethinking his Super League decision. And they would, of course, go on to leave the Bulldogs, and they'd uh, be Parramatta players. ARL aligned Parramatta Eels players spent exactly. a lot of money on those players, and I mean, in some ways it it was worth it, but in a lot of other ways it it really wasn't for Parramatta. I mean, they didn't win a premiership. They come close. There was one team there they had was pretty good, but for the most part, it didn't really work. No. No. May twenty two. Super League launches legal action against the ARL to prevent any players inducing other players. Sorry, to prevent any individuals inducing players to break their Super League contracts. Yeah, because we wouldn't want that at this point. <laughs> My goodness. That's what a carnage. mess. What an absolute mess, eh? It is. Uh, Jared McCracken, Jim Dimmick joined Dean Pay and Jason Smith in the decision to walk away from Super League. The Bulldogs reinstate Pay and Smith, but select them in reserve grade for the club's upcoming match with Parramatta. Uh, John Quayle offered Laurie Daly a test captaincy if he returned to the ARL. The ARL announced it will spend its accumulated reserves of $12 million on rescue packages for loyal clubs. $12 million. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, The Bulldogs are expected to launch fresh legal action against the ARL, claiming the club's loyalty agreement was signed under duress. (laughs) Of course it was. Wow. Uh, May 24. John Rebo claims the remaining franchise for the Rebel competition could go to a Japanese team or consortium. Yeah, and this is more of that PR spin. Um, John Rebo was really good at getting this idea out that they wanted to take Rugby League global. And Rugby League was a little bit different than it was it is now. It was always looking to the next expansion. It was always looking to beyond its own horizons. It's not like that anymore. And Super League is a lot, a lot of... Uh, to blame for that but yeah he was talking i remember there were he super league and and super league aligned players were talking about they would be recognized in like india and they'd have teams in japan and there was all of these sorts of claims that were made 
and it was it was just silly. It was all silly. Oh yeah, big talk, talk up yeah. a big game. That's what was going on here. Um, the ARL announced a three test series against the rest of the world side in 1996. <laughs> that was yeah. the rest of the world side that they selected. They selected, yep, yeah. and. I'm trying to think, uh, I think Jason Robinson played in that game, hey? Yeah, he did. Yeah. He's the, um, only pl- he's the only top of the line player I can think of that played in that game, or the one that sticks out for me anyway. Yeah, I mean, he was the the real big name that they were, um, you know, they were talking up, I guess, in the media. Mm. He was the one that they really wanted to have. I don't remember that game at all, by the way. I'm um, just trying to find it now. Let's have a look here. No, it didn't even get played in 96, did it? No, it got played in 97 instead. 97, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the uh, rest of the world team was Gary Connolly, Jason Robertson, Craig Innes, Phil Craig Howlett, Innes, yeah. Marcus yeah. Bye, Tom O'Reilly, Adrian Lamb, Jason Lowry, Lee Jackson, Terry Hermison, Darren Ramika, Jared McCracken, Andrew Tangatatoa, Craig Smith, Harvey Howard, Chris Nahi, and William McLean. Some good players in that team. There are. There's some you go, who? Yeah, there is, yeah. <laughs> it's an um, interesting team, though. Gary Connolly, yeah. he was a very, very good uh, British player. Um, I think he's probably the best British centre I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, it wasn't fantastic play, but he was very good, very solid player. Yeah. Um, now, where were we up to? Here we go. Uh, the Sydney Bulldogs threatened to launch legal action against the four players who defected back to the ARL. The Brisbane Broncos claim up to six players were approached by the ARL in an attempt to induce them to break their Super League contracts. Um, the federal court sets a date of September 25 for the start of the legal battle between the ARL and News Limited. And addressing the National Press Club in Canberra, John Rebo says it is time we got the gloves off as hostilities with the ARL intensified. So apparently at this stage, the gloves were still on. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It'd be interesting to, and I'm sure we could find it, uh, look at that National Press Club um, address and go through it. Maybe we could do an episode on that and just... It'd be interesting to see the lines that he was saying and, and the way that he was approaching things. Because John Rebo, to be fair, he did a pretty good job. Considering the job he was given, he did a good job of it. And it was a thankless one too. I mean, oh, yeah. John Rebo, there'd be plenty of people in the game that would spit on the ground when he say his name still. Um, but he did he did a job... And he did it well. He did it very well. No one would have done that job. No. That, and he would have known. He would have known what he was getting into. And he still exactly. did it. Uh, May 25, the Roosters president, Nick Politis, denies the Roosters attempted to lure Ricky Stewart, Laurie Daly, and Bradley Clyde to the club, rejecting claims made by Canberra CEO Kevin Neal. Ellery Hanley accepts a $950,000 deal to switch to the ARL, leaving England without a coach for the Centenary World Cup. Absolutely crazy amount of money, huh? And he was in the twilight of his career at that stage. I mean, he'd already turned to coaching. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. 
Um, North Sydney and Queensland prop Tony Hearn claims the ARL is in danger of alienating its loyal players if it continues its raids on Super League ranks. All of a sudden, the ARL are paying these players who have gone to Super League bigger money to come back, and we're the ones who are loyal, he said. Now, the reason why I like this comment here is that that mirrors a lot of the sentiment that was in place in 1909 when the Wallabies were being paid tons of money to mm. switch codes to rugby league and all of the rugby league players who were loyal had been paid peanuts. Yeah, we talked about that during the 1909 episode. And it's a very strange situation for the administrators to be in once again. Um, history repeats itself, hey? Yeah. Um, also on May 25, executives of the nine Super League clubs meet for the first time to discuss plans for the Rebel competition. Yeah, it would have been an interesting meeting. I wonder um, I wonder what was said in that meeting because I would guess a lot of the clubs didn't know what was going on. They just had signed the contracts. That's all they knew. Yeah. Uh, May 28, Michael O'Connor calls for the sacking of John Quayle over his handling of the Mark Carroll sighting earlier in the year. Um, Mark Carroll was... Cited and was supposed to be suspended for a week, but then they had the, the suspension overturned. Yeah. Um, May 29, a parliamentary rugby league supporters group headed by Speaker Stephen Martin attempts to broker a peace deal in the ongoing dispute. We've now got politicians getting involved in this. Do you feel, I feel as though these days they would have been a lot more involved in it because... Obviously, social media and things like that would have... I think that would have applied more pressure to politicians. True. I also think, too, because because Labor was in power, mm-hmm. and this was, you know, it was Keating's government, which was more of a traditional Labor party than the one you've got today. You know, they're a bit more, I suppose, socially-minded, worker union supporting, that sort of thing. Um, so they still had that strong tie with rugby league that they had back when the game first started in 1908. Mm-hmm. So it's not surprising for me that the politicians didn't wait too long to get involved in this. I mean, it's only been essentially almost two months since it kicked off and they've already started going, you know, we need to get invested in this and we need to get involved in this because they didn't want to see the game die and wither away because of it. Yeah. And I mean, the labor has always had very strong ties to the game. I feel as though, over the Super League war, those ties are going to fall apart. Um, and it probably comes down to the people that end up running the game and, and things like that. But, yeah, it's so much so much of the history of the game and things that you could always rely on in the game, in a game that is very unreliable at times, fell apart during this Super League war. Yep. Uh, May 30. Knights football manager Robert Finch resigns from the club to join the Newcastle Super League franchise. I bet he was happy with that decision. Yeah. <laughs> Super League announced the introduction of unlimited interchange and timeout for kicks at goal. Now, Super League had some interesting rule changes that they wanted to bring in. One of the things that they they did was that the team that scored the try kicked off, which yes. was never attained. Um and it was different. I can't say why it didn't work, but it just felt wrong. Yeah. It's like you're rewarding the team for being crap. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it was. 
And um, you know the other thing too, it stopped a team from, you know how a team will get on a roll and they'll come back into a game? It's kind of stopped that sort of momentum. That's correct. Now, the Australian reports that the South Queensland Crushers have all but won the final franchise for the Rebel competition. That's not very good not, reporting. Yeah. <laughs> um, player managers Wayne Beavis and Sam Ayub dismissed New Zealand's threats to sue them over their involvement in the defections of the four Bulldogs players. So even the player managers are picking sides. Yep. Uh, June 1, we're finally made it to the middle of the year. Nice. <laughs> Former Knights captain Michael Hagan signs with his Newcastle Super League franchise as an administrator. On June 2, the ARL decides to end the international transfer system. June 3, Western Samoa and Tonga join Super League. June 4, Fiji joins Super League. June 5, Super League completes its raid on the Pacific Nations by announcing the signing of Papua New Guinea. ARL Chief Ken Arthurson labels PNG signing as just about the ultimate betrayal. Australia mm. has spent tens of thousands of dollars supporting and encouraging the game in PNG, and now they have sold out to a multinational company with no feeling for the game. Yeah, that's some harsh words there. Um, and yeah, now the ARL is completely isolated at this point. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. You had a in Fiji, they had a Super League war as well. So you had a Fiji ARL and a Fiji Super League. Yep. Um, the Knights and months of speculation about their future by pledging their allegiance to the ARL. That would that would prove to be one of the most important decisions made in the whole war. Yeah, and I mean, obviously at the time it was very important. Um, a lot of key players in that Knights team as well. But I think at the time it wasn't... People didn't realise, obviously, how big of a move that would be. The Knights were a, a good, solid team, but they were just about to become a great side. Yeah. And obviously, with the with the 97 grand final, I mean, all the money in the world couldn't buy what happened in that grand final. And that no, was huge true. for the ARL. Yeah. Um, the ARL threatened legal action to prevent the Centenary World Cup going ahead if Super League-aligned countries attempt to interfere in Australia's selection process. The New Zealand League threatened to ignore any suspension handed out to John Lomax after he cited for a high tackle on the Illawarra prop Peter Johnson, and the ARL launched an investigation into reports that North Sydney players misbehaved on a flight from Perth to Sydney. Good to know that something's never changed. There's a bit of play misbehaviour going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, June 7, John Lomax is uh, found that he doesn't have a case to answer. So it saves a bit of a drama there. Mm -hmm. Canberra tell their major sponsor, Canberra Milk, it could cost them up to $5 million a year to support the Raiders in the breakaway Super League competition. How many times has Canberra Milk been on their jersey since? Oh. Once? Have they been on there once? can't remember. I feel like they've been on once since. Because I feel yeah. like there was like a throwback to like, oh, Canberra Milk's back. But that's yeah. it. Um, ARL officials fly to Brisbane for urgent talks with the South Queensland Crushers. June 8, the South Australian Rugby League joined Super League and is touted as the competition's 11th franchise for 97. Now that's huge because they're, they're the first 
official Australian Rugby League organisation to switch like that. Yeah, an entire state too. Yeah. June 9, Ken Arthur warns that someone could end up in jail if the ARL won its court case against News Limited in the Super League. Yeah, I always love things like that. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. June 10, Roy, Roy Masters reveals that secret merger talks have begun between the Roosters and the Dragons. Now, that's really, really interesting. There, there were a few merger talks. I mean, everyone was mer- having merger talks in Sydney with everyone else at this point. Um, it seemed as though the Roosters were huge. And keep in mind, earlier in this episode, they were talking about legal action if teams had to merge the Roosters. Now they're having merger talks with everyone. And they basically wanted to take over the club that they were talking with take their logo and their name and stuff, and that was pretty much it. That's correct, yes. Um, June 11, John Harvey, the coach of the Seagulls, claims that they have been forgotten by their ARL as it distributes financial packages to other loyal clubs. It's an interesting one. That's just coming from a man at a club who are in financial drama. Yeah. Um. Parramatta President Alan Overton claims the ARL should cut the Super League clubs and get on with organising competition for the remaining loyal clubs. On uh, June 12, after 10 Australian Rugby Union players are reported to have been approached by Super League following Australia's quarterfinal loss to England in the World Cup. I don't remember too many of them coming over. Garrick Morgan? Yeah, he's the only one I can think of. (laughs) Um, Also on June 12... Paul Vorton's Queenslanders complete a stunning 3-0 series defeat of New South Wales in the state of origin. It's probably the best thing that happened in 1995, I think. Um, absolutely historic. And is really, I've always said that, represent, I've always said rugby league games are won by talent, and especially state of origin games. And it's not about like all of this guts and glory and all this stuff. But 1995 is the exception. It is That's, definitely the that, exception. Yeah, and there's no way around it. The New South Wales team had more talent by quite a long way, and Queensland won 3 nothing in an utter miracle. Absolutely incredible what Paul Vorton and the Queensland team did that year. And Absolutely. I'm still gutted by it. All these years later, I'm still devastated that they won 3 nothing. Yeah, it's one of the biggest upsets in, in Australian rugby league history. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of too many that are bigger upsets than that. No, I mean, you've got to look at, you know, extreme cases of things like the Rourke's Drift Test in 1914 and things like that to, to find mm. anything that comes close. It's just re- mm-hmm. remarkable what he did. Yep. Um, Super League players actually watched the game at a special function at the Rocks. So it just shows, too, that the players are... They're not, they're not about money as much as people thought at the time. They did still want to play rep footy. Yeah, that's true. I tell you just a little story. I th- I think it was in 1996. I went to a, a state of origin game in Sydney, and I'd had the day off. And me and my friends had gone to a friend's house, had the day off, and we just decided on a whim to go and watch the the state of origin game, and could rock up to Sydney Football Stadium, just buy tickets. What none of it was a problem. Um. And that showed the toll that, that the Super League war ended up taking on State of Origin. Absolutely. Um, 
but at the same time, Arrowell was just so protective of Origin. They did not want to right. lose that because they knew that was the crown. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, massive TV ratings even back then. Yeah. Uh, massive crowds even in 1995 as well. Exactly. And that, that win by Queensland was just... It was, it was almost um, inspiring, I guess, for the RL in that David Goliath battle that mm-hmm. David got up in State of Origin and made Arrow think that, you know, they're just like David. They're just like Queensland. They can do it too. And I'll tell you the other thing it did too is that rugby league's a very weird sport and sometimes it shows its magic. And that was it showing its magic during all of this mess. It's like this magical moment that only rugby league can produce. And it did it a few times during the Super League War. And it always seemed to fall on the ARL side. That's right, yeah. Um, June 13, Ken Arson claims that Queensland's victory has made the ARL officials more determined to ignore Super League players for the Centenary World Cup. World Cup tournament director Morris Lindsay warns of legal action by the Super League countries and sponsors of the event if Australia does not select Super League players. Shane Edwards, new Broncos CEO, reveals that the club has waived its exclusivity clause for Super League, clearing the way for the South Queensland Crushers to join the new competition. Isn't that nice of the Broncos? Yeah, look at that. They're, they're playing nice after all. Yeah. Uh, Morris Lindsay accuses West of ignoring the suspension of a player who should have been serving a four-month drug ban. Don't know who that was. The Sydney Bulldogs announced they will drop Sydney from their name in 1996 and may also return to the Belmore Sports Ground. Now, in 1995, there were a number of teams that changed their name. We had the Sydney Tigers. Uh, that didn't work out. We had the yeah, Sydney they, Bulldogs. The Sydney Tigers Sorry, also changed the, the bottom black stripe on their jumper to purple for some absurd fucking reason. Really? I don't remember that. Oh, God. That makes was... no sense at all. Why would they do that? I hated it. I hated it. They had yeah. a they had a great jumper in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, simple Phillips one with the orange jumper with the black V. Yep, simple worked a treat. Then they went with this one with the weird stripes, and the stripes had different sizes, and they had a good sponsor. But yeah, they had this weird purple stripe in it. It just looked so stupid. God, I hated that jumper. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. That's hilarious. Well, and it's it... not not the most hateful thing that I've seen from the Tigers wearing. But, uh, <laughs> It was one of the worst things I saw Balmain players playing around in. Yeah. Well, they they were one, the Sydney Tigers. Uh, you had the Sydney City Roosters as well. They changed their name. Um, who was the other team? There was another team, the Bulldogs. No, it was just the Bulldogs, the Tigers, and the Roosters. Oh, I thought there was a fourth team. But anyway, they, they were looking to try and be a Sydney club because they knew the writing was on the wall. You couldn't be a, sub, a suburb, basically. And... Uh, hope to be a big club that's right so they're trying to find a way of staying relevant expand the market and survive i guess and it's not ironic that the one team that kept the sydney name is probably the one club that's the smallest of all yeah it's just that should just not have worked yeah um june 16 john rebo rules out the defection from rugby union of star centers tim horn and jason little on June 17, Steve Crawley reports in the Australian that senior executives of the Nine Network and Optus Vision are initiating talks with News Limited over Super League. And to be honest, 
they're the ones that really matter in all these talks. Yes. Um, John Quayle reveals that two ARL clubs have made massive bids for Canberra's Kiwi, Kiwi Test captain, John Lomax. And Kerry, Poor, Kerry Packer reportedly offers International Rugby League television rights to Rupert Murdoch. What's going on here? Ah, that's an interesting one. I wonder how much money's been thrown around in, in bids back and forth between those two over this matter to try and resolve it. Yeah. I guess Kerry I mean Kerry Packer only cares about basically any any uh content that he can put on his Australian T V channels. He doesn't care yeah. about international rugby league. No. And I guess News Limited now that they owned or Super League now that they owned all of the other Super League countries. Now the international rights actually mean something to them. So it's a negotiation tactic, I guess. I think that's pretty much all it was. Um, June 19, John Rebell and Ken Arthurson accuse each other's organisation of ending any hopes of compromise between the two warring parties. Rebell claims victory over the ARL and refuses to rule out the possibility of an Australian team of Super League players replacing an ARL team in the World Cup. Now this was this is actually big because all of the other nations are Super League, and the ARL is isolated, and but they knock that on the head pretty quickly. Absolutely. Just wondering how they were going to do that, but I suppose. Well, that's the thing. It would have, from an Australian perspective, it would have been deemed as an unofficial team. Yeah, kind of like the Tongan Invitational team, I guess. Yeah. Um. But still, I mean, that would have been, I feel like that would have been absolutely massive if that had happened. Yeah. Um, June 20, and Bob Fulton says, players from the Broncos and the Raiders are on the verge of defecting from the Super League. I wonder what made him say that. I think it was just more of that, you know, propaganda type stuff to try and Mm. make people think that everyone's having second thoughts about it now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, June 21, Dragons President Warren Lockwood admits that low-level merger talks have been conducted with Sydney City, but says no official announcement is imminent. The Crushers decide to stay with the ARL. North Sydney is again linked to Super League following discussions between coach Peter Louie and the Brackway organisation. The Telegraph Mirror reveals that assistant Australian coach Sean McRae has been sacked by the ARL because he's employed by a Super League club, Canberra. Yeah, and he ends up uh, going over to coach in England. Yeah, and what a great coach he was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, June 22, further talks are held between the ARL News Limited with Ken Arthurson claiming that there is real scope for compromise. They talk about compromise a lot in peace deals. They really do, and it, it never went anywhere at all. No. Uh, the following day... News Corp signs the Southern Hemisphere's Rugby Union Nations to a staggering $766 million broadcasting deal over 10 years. Which Rugby Union knew it needed to do because it was about to get absolutely torn apart by this Super League war. Um, And yeah, that was a deal I had in place for a very long time. And it's, I mean, it continued a relationship with uh, News Corp that in some cases still goes to this day. And, yeah, it was a good move by Rugby Union. Certainly was. Um, ARL Chief Ken Arthurson says Sydney clubs will need to agree to merge before any compromise deal is struck with News Limited. Uh, 
Um, God, we hear that one come up a few times. June 24, more than 2,000 people attend an anti-Super League rally at Sydney Town Hall. The Super League era war hits a new low when Canberra skipper Ricky Stewart is spat upon at the Sydney Football Stadium. Yeah, I mean, feelings were pretty high. I don't remember the anti-Super League rally, hey? I don't remember either of those. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't either. Uh, June 25, Sydney clubs will be offered $5 million if they agree to amalgamate or drop out of the competition. Why? What, yeah, I've got $5 million and that don't exist anymore. What are they going to do with the money? Yeah, it just seems pointless. Anyway. Silly, yeah. Um... The Gold Coast Seagulls are poised to drop out of the ARL competition, and North Sydney coach Peter Louie denies reports that as many as 15 of his players were about to defect to Super League. Wow. The I next day, oh. the next day, a meeting between 26 of North's top players and Super League executives is held in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Now, and this is one of the things, one of the tactics Super League used is they said, look, you can buy into this new Super League franchise, which will be based where you are and have a similar name to you. And they would sign up the coach and they would sign up the players and either your club could switch to Super League or we're just going to run a club that's exactly like you with your players and your coach. And what are you going to do then? Exactly right. And that's the thing. They were very smart at making sure they got the coach first because a lot of the times that coach would be able to drag most of the senior players across with him. Yep, and it's, uh, I mean, that's why you you hear a lot from the coaches at this point because they knew, you know, the, the players stick with the coaches and we've seen that even in recent years when coaches have uh, done things that haven't been great and players still stick by them. Yep. Um June 27, Cronulla Chief Executive Peter Armstrong says his club is willing to re-enter merger talks with St George if a compromise deal is reached in the Super League battle. I wonder where both clubs would be now if they had emerged. I mean, obviously it would have just ended up being St George overall. They would have just swallowed up the the, um, Sharks. But I wonder what the Dragons look like if they get back that traditional area that was once theirs. It'd be fascinating to know how it went because that Sharks team too in the in the mid nineties was a stunning team. Yeah, really, really was. Um, I mean, you would guess that St George or the merged entity would have had a lot more success than they've had. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, June twenty eighth, the Rugby League Week annual players poll reveals that ninety two percent of players believe that Super League will get off the ground. More than half of the 100 players polled believe there will be no compromise. Most agreed that Phil Gould and Bob Thornton should not have been negotiating with players, and most denounced the 2020 competition as a failure. The Roosters board votes to raise merger talks with the Dragons at a, to an official level, and the ARL seeks an exemption from the federal government's ban on tobacco sponsorship because the Super League war has scared off potential sponsors. That's a funny one, hey? Yeah, well, all the sponsors are getting scared, but they're not the tobacco ones. Yeah, the tobacco ones are still in it. Uh, yeah, you know what? Cigarettes can't kill you. Super League won't either. That could have been a, a merger thing. They could, have, you know, an advertising they could have had. Exactly. That was every so often they'd still get a phone call saying, <coughs> "We're still in. <laughs> not dead yet." Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, June 29, Jason Taylor announces that the Bears are loyal to the North Sydney club, but not overly loyal to the ARL, following a two-hour meeting with club directors. Wow, that's an interesting quote, hi. Hmm. Um, Dragons captain Mark Coyne supports the merger between the Roosters and the Dragons. Saints president Warren Lockwood confirms a three-man panel would be formed to hold discussions with the Roosters over a proposed merger. And the Dragons Chief Executive Jeff Carr says Sydney clubs must face either amalgamation or extinction. Now, the Dragons were pretty open to this idea of mm. merging and extinct, uh, or being extinct, and they were obviously the first team to form a merged entity as well. So it seems like they were they were on the front foot about all this. And they, the other thing is too, they are probably they, their merger went very smoothly as well. And I know that there'd be Illawarra fans that would feel differently, but. I mean, they they didn't have that war between the two sides. It felt like a more natural merger when they merged with the Steelers. It's interesting that they were in talks with the Sharks because I can see what the Sharks give the the Dragons. But I guess the only thing that the Roosters would have given the Dragons would have been financial backing. Um, and it's interesting to look at all of the mergers that they could have had. And, like, obviously we don't know how they would have gone if they'd emerged with these other clubs, but it seems like the Illawarra merger worked well for them, but it, you still got to think like if they'd emerged with the, the sharks, it would have been great. I don't know what they really would have got out of merging with the roosters though. Yeah. It's hard to know. Um, mm. I dare say it might've been a, a decision by the roosters to try and surround South. Possibly. Yeah. I, I wonder if they would have had to have changed their name to, for instance, the Sydney Dragons or something. Like, they would have been mm. the Dragons still. I think that was pretty clear. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I, I wonder how that would have worked. Look, I wonder how it would have worked with the Sharks, whether it would have been uh, St. George, Cronulla Dragons or something like that. Yeah, I, well, I reckon they might have just gone with um, something with South in there, I guess. Southern yeah. Suburbs Dragons or something like that. I don't know. It's interesting how it would have worked. Yeah. Um, June 30, Ken Arthurson denies the ARL prepared to throw up five million merger packages to clubs. Sorry, five million dollar merger packages to clubs. So the the problem the ARL's got here is that they've got too many clubs, and they know this. And this goes back to um, reports that were done in the in the early 80s and then redone again in the early 90s that. There needs to be less Sydney clubs and more, you know, covering more of the nation. So you need to cull Sydney clubs and then get try and get teams in every major state. Mm-hmm. And while the ARL done the second part of that well, they didn't go around getting rid of teams. And yeah, the, they didn't want to put the bullet into anyone. And, the and chance, a lot of they had a chance to do that in '83 when mm-hmm. they had South Cronulla and the Magpies all on the brink of financial collapse. Mm-hmm as well as Newtown, four clubs, and they only let one of them go. And they were reluctant about that too. So West had raised enough money to survive, as had Cronulla and South. Newtown were not looking very strong at all. And they were told, we will let you relocate to Campbelltown, but we'll give you a year off to get your finances in order. And then when you come back, you'll be at Campbelltown, you'll play from there, everything will be fine. And then West said, we're going to go to Campbelltown now. And it left Newtown without a home and without... And with a year off, they just got cut. Mm-hmm. And so circumstances, 
not the ARL, forced Newtown out of the competition. Yeah, and it's uh, it's funny that, and when you look at the structure of the game at the time, it was all very political. So you had a lot of these appointments at the ARL level were made at the New South Wales Rugby League level, and those people were uh, voted on by these clubs. And so they knew that if they would cut any of these clubs, it would hurt their supporter base further down the line. Um, and it was very disappointing for the game overall in that you could get to a point where you knew what had to happen, but no one seemed to have the drive to make it happen because it just didn't work for them personally. And once again, rugby league self-interest always reigns. Always. Always. Um, so now we're into the new financial year. Halfway through, people. <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. July 2. Graham Richardson claims there won't be a Super League next year or ever. Well done, Richo. Good one. Um, Super League players from Manly, Ian Roberts and Matthew Ridge, announced they will take the ARL to court in a bid to have their current contracts overturned. Uh, South Sydney President George Piggins confirms that his club has not completely closed the door on merging with a rival. However, he says that his club will seek merger talks with the wealthy South Sydney juniors, which isn't quite what the ARL had in mind. No, he's not going to get his five million bucks for merging with the South Juniors. <laughs> um, they did end up forming a bit of an alliance there. But uh, the thing to remember at this point, South Sydney, it's a little bit sad. They're dead on their feet at this point in their history and have been for some time. And there's a reason why this is the first time we've really brought up South Sydney in this conversation, because they were one of those teams that just no one seemed to care about at this point. Yeah, they, were, they had a really good year in 1989 with minor premiers, and then in the off-season, um, a massive drug scandal went through the place. It's found a lot of players had been taking marijuana and, and a lot of other things have been going on there. And mm-hmm. um, their playing stocks got decimated. A lot of star players left the club, and in 1990, they went from being minor premiers, top of the ladder, to running dead last, winning just two of 22 games, and they struggled to recover from that. Yeah, they just were absolutely nowhere. And, I mean, the, when people would say the pride of the league, it was kind of with a sadness. Like, I, I had a friend that was a South Sydney fan at the time, and uh, he was just sad about his club. Yeah. Um, July 5, sacked Illawarra coach Graham Murray is named coach of the Newcastle Super League franchise. And the Arrow informs the Broncos that they can play the remainder of the season without fear of losing premiership points for fielding unregistered players. Jeez, the Broncos are just being handed, you know, gifts on platters here. It must have been really hard for the ARL to do that as well because they know that all of this was started basically in the Broncos boardroom. And, like, at some point they had to kind of let a lot of stuff go just because of the way the competition was and that they couldn't tear apart the competition. Like, they knew if they started enforcing, like, salary cap rules right now, I mean, it makes no sense. The salary cap was out the window at this point. Yeah. Uh, July 7. Compromise talks between Super League and ARL are called off for the last time as both organisations continue to accuse each other of never wanting a peace deal in the first place. <laughs> and I think it's fair to say that neither did. No, they didn't. Yet they kept talking about it all the time. Yeah. Um, July 9, the Roosters have approached the ARL for financial support to help in the merger with St. George. I wonder how much they asked for. 
And I wonder, I would love to know what the merger was, how it was going to work. Yeah, I reckon they were probably after the... I wouldn't be surprised that if they had have said to the Dragons, how's about you ask the ARL for the $5 million for merging and we'll do the same and see if we can get the 10. <laughs> that would have been a pretty good, pretty good <laughs> deal, actually. Um, so July 10, Super League wins a temporary injunction to prevent the ARL and national coach Bob Thornton poaching players who have signed with them. Now, it's interesting they got that in place, isn't it? Because that's the first time that there's been an injunction on anyone being able to actively sign players. Yeah. Um, July 13, Super League announced that they will play no matches on Saturday afternoons, instead reverting to televised Monday night games. And at the time, the Saturday afternoon game was shown on the ABC. Yeah. So, you know, scrapping that game, and, and the crowds weren't great for it. Um, it's always been a bit of a problem time because there's, and there's a lot of reasons that people toss up for it, but there was, I mean, obviously Super League wasn't going to give a game to the ABC, so there was no reason to have that afternoon game. Yeah. Uh, July 16, we'll go back to something that happened on the field. Mm -hmm. Roosters coach Phil Gould risked a $10,000 fine by threatening to call his players from the field in protest at referee David Jay before the Roosters and Manly's 15-game winning streak. I'm glad yeah, Phil Gould is staying out of the drama, hey? Yeah, it's good to see he's not whinging either. Yeah, yeah. That's just a, a modern thing he does. <laughs> um, July 17, an offer by Super League to have referees Graham Annesley, Bill Harrigan, Steve Clark, and Tim Manda return to the ARL to ease the refereeing crisis is rejected out of hand by ARL boss Michael Stone. I like that there's a refereeing crisis. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that wasn't pushed along by News Limited at all. No. Um, I don't know where Hartley is in all this. <laughs> he's ready. He's, he's ready. ready. He's been he's training. Ready. He's got his whistle. He's ready to go. Yeah. Yep. July 18. George Piggins says the entire South City Football Club board is prepared to stand down immediately if South Juniors accept the merger proposal. All right. Well, that's interesting. Mm. Uh, July 19. Rugby League Week reveals that Arthur Beeson has lodged an official complaint with the ARL over test selections. The ATO, Australian Taxation Office, warns that players, referees and officials face a tax office audit following the large sums paid out by the ARL and the Super League. Of course, like, can you imagine what the ATO is thinking? And with the, some of the, the tactics that were going on on both sides, with uh, players getting signing bonuses and stuff, that must have been like, how are we going to approach any of this? Exactly. Uh, how are they going to trace the money? Yeah. Um, July 23, a rally of around 3,000 Dragon supporters protesting the club's proposed merger with the Roosters follows the club's defeat of South Sydney at Cogra. Canberra coach Tim Sheens confirms Super League is proposing to introduce a player draft as part of its plans for 1996. How hilarious is that? They make all these steps forward, then they take that massive step backwards. Yeah. Um, July 24, South Juniors rule out a proposed merger deal with the South Sydney club, but they endorse a proposal to ensure the Rabbitohs maintain their identity in the ARL competition. A meeting of Super League coaches and chief executives votes to veto any draft system. Well, that got shut on pretty quick. Straight away, yeah. <laughs> As it should. Um, July 25... 
St. George halfback Noel Goldthorpe becomes the first outsider to sign with Super League's Hunter franchise to be known as the Mariners. The Newcastle Knights knock back a $4 million upgrade offer for Marathon Stadium by refusing to share the ground with the new Newcastle Super League club. Newcastle, man. You don't go to Newcastle and start doing anti-Newcastle stuff, anti-Knights stuff anyway. And as we discussed in the 1917 episode, they'd had a Rebel competition before. Mm-hmm. And in that occasion, the Rebel one was the better competition and it got up and the other one had to merge with it. Yep, exactly. Um, July 26, an innovative point ceiling system could be used to replace the controversial salary cap under consideration by the ARL. I, I can't even believe that anybody was talking about that at this stage. Crazy, isn't it? It really um, is. The Hunter Mariners are officially launched in Newcastle. And July 28th. tens of people at that launch, by uh, the way. Almost a dozen, probably. Mm-hmm. For all July, employees. <laughs> July 28th. Former All Black Shane Howard signs with the Cowboys. I don't remember him at all. There's one for you. Um, July 30, former Canberra fullback Gary Belcher is taking legal action against his former club, claiming more than $100,000 in damages. The action is believed to stem from the club's 1991 crisis when players were asked to take pay cuts. Western Reds coach Peter Mulholland puts his house up as bail after the club's Welsh international, Dale Powell, is charged with the unlawful killing of a man. Wow. I don't remember that at all, hey? No, that's something I completely forgot. Can you imagine if that happened these days? Wow. I think I'm willing to say if that happened now, I would go into a meltdown. Yeah. That's, man, there's a lot going on there. I need to look into that a bit further. Yeah. Um, August 1, Paul Morgan, Broncos chairman, confirms he's considering a 1997 Super League franchise based in Melbourne in a joint venture with the Canberra Raiders and the Essendon AFL Club. Yeah, now, the, one of the things was that uh, News Limited was very keen to get a team in Melbourne, and they ended up getting their team in Melbourne. And it's funny that when there was compromise eventually, um, teams were getting cold, but we also added a team in Melbourne, and that team ended up being run by John Rebo. Yeah. Um, August 3, Illawarra hold contract talks with Sydney Bulldogs forward Jason Smith. St. George opt to defer talks on a proposed amalgamation with the Roosters until the outcome of the September federal court case is known. Uh, the following day, the Roosters CEO, Bernie Gurr, claims the ARL wanted amalgamation talks between his club and St. George put on hold for fear they would jeopardise the league's court case against News Limited. Super League boss John Rebo says he is ready to deal with St. George and discuss the possibility of the club taking up Super League's 10th franchise. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who the 10th franchise ended up being, hey? Probably Adelaide, I think. Yeah, but Adelaide was already... No, they were in... talked for 97. Oh, okay, there we go. Because yeah. that's the thing. Super League were looking at starting the comp in 96. In 96, yeah. Yeah. Um, August 5, the ARL trial the use of two referees in a reserve-grade Metropolitan Cup match between Guildford and Hills District. Yeah, and that, that shows how long ago they knew that we needed two referees yep and it's funny because it was pushed by the media to a certain extent the same media that now says we need to go back to one referee yes uh the following day 
It was reported that the Super League is set to introduce a video referee in 1996 to rule on controversial tries. How's that? Two huge changes to the game to help with officials in the space of two days. Yeah. And they didn't make a ripple at the time. <laughs> no. Um, Victorian Rugby League chairman Ray Duncan confirms there are likely to be two teams playing out of Melbourne by 1998. Bold. Mm, yeah, that was interesting, that one. Um, August 9, Super League moved to end a squabble between Penrith, the Mariners, the Cowboys and the Warriors over the signing of Matthew Ridge and Noel Goldthorpe to new clubs. I wonder what that was all about. Oh, I don't know what was going on there. I think Goldthorpe might have been under a contract when he signed with the Mariners. Okay. don't know what's going on there. August 10, Garrick Morgan applies for a restatement to Rugby Union because Rugby League was too hard. Yeah, that, I mean, he was... A gold standard for maybe the worst cross-code signing ever. Exactly. I, 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 I'd even rate Greg Smith, who played that one game for Newcastle, is better than Garrick Morgan. Would you rate Garrick Morgan better or worse than uh, Gareth Thomas? Remember the Welsh Rugby Union player? Uh, I'll take Thomas. Yeah, really? Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Thomas was knocked out twice in his first game. Yeah. He was, was better uh, in terms of uh, off-field stuff, Thomas. Like, he, he really helped rugby league get a lot of interest uh, in the media over in the UK. Yeah, that's but, true. Uh, and Morgan didn't do that. So, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Um, August 11, Roosters officials ridicule rumours that suggest they are poised to defect to Super League. Wow. That's an interesting one. The Sunday Mail reveals that the Brisbane Broncos plan massive building improvements to ANZ Stadium. That is what's now known as QE2 Stadium. Um, and that was going to boost the ground's capacity to 70,000 seats. And it's probably the worst sports stadium in Australia, even back then when it was at its best. Yeah. Like, absolutely horrible place to watch footy at. Um, August 13, an estimated crowd of 5,000 people packed Newcastle West Harker Oval and registered a resounding vote against the club's involvement in the Hunter Mariners franchise. Super League CEO John Rebo says the Broco competition would include a Hunter team despite the vote of West members. There you go. Another bit of on-field information here. A bit light-hearted, this one. Mm-hmm. Illawarra mascot Stanley the Steel Avenger is sent off and reported by referee Tony Maxud after he becomes involved in a brawl between Illawarra and Sydney Tigers players at Steelers Stadium. I miss the Steelers mascot. He was fantastic. Him and Captain Charger. Who would win the fight between those two? Oh, man. I reckon Stanley would. I'm going Stanley. Yeah. Didn't Stanley have like a motorcycle helmet? He may, I think he did actually, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd have to go Stanley. Although Captain Charger was something special. Yeah. August 16, the Courier Mail reports that the QRL is unlikely to oppose moves to privatise the Crushers. A plan to form a Rebel World Rugby Union competition is abandoned. Now, Kerry Packer tried to... He moved to have some sort of Super League move in Rugby Union too but it was quickly knocked on the head. Yes. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. It was maybe called like World Rugby Corporation or something like that. Yeah. 
Um, August 17, Warren Lockwood says the club is the club, the Dragons, is serious about making an approach to join Super League. And St. George great Rod Reddy accepts a one-year deal as Saints coach for 1996. August 18, John Rebo arrives in Auckland to reprimand the Warriors over their unnecessarily aggressive approach to recruitment. Peace hopes in the league battle are raised again following the compromise over rugby union between Kerry Packer and Rupert Murdoch, which you were just discussing then. There we go, yeah. Um, August 20, the ARL's eight-team semi-final system is criticised when it is revealed that Brisbane and Canberra, the second and third-place teams, cannot meet in the grand final. This was something that was always in the media because the media always wanted to see Brisbane and Canberra playing in a grand final. You know, Brisbane won 92 and 93. Canberra won 89, 90 and 94, and they were in the 1991 grand final. So between the two of them, they played in you know, five of the last – or sorry, six of the last eight grand finals at that stage. Yeah, and I mean, you see it every so often still where they'll say, oh, this team can't meet this one. And I always find it funny because, like, there's no system where everyone can definitely meet everyone else. No. It's crazy. Um, the Telegraph reveals that three coaches, Malcolm Riley, Bob Fulton, and Phil Gould, are to receive golden handshakes worth almost a million dollars. Wow. That's That'll be incredible. for their work recruiting players for the ARL. Yeah. Uh, August 21, ABC announces it will drop its telecast of finals matches. Oh, wow. Uh, August 22, Mark Coyne signs a new three-year deal with the club, indicating that Saints will remain loyal to the ARL. The ARL deny reports of secret compromise talks with News Limited. This is a shabby attempt to further destabilise the ARL in the lead-up to our historic 18 final series, said Ken Arthurson. In Blacktown, a junior player is banned for 20 years for attacking a referee during a Penrith Junior Rugby League match. And Broncos, Peter Ryan, Kevin Waters, and Chris Johns are involved in a brawl at a Brisbane hotel. <laughs> the integrity unit is still looking into that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> August 23, it's reported that the Super League has banned its member countries from playing warm-up matches against Australia in the lead-up to the World Cup. Wow, that's very petty. Very petty. August 24, Gold Coast future remains uncertain following the ARL's refusal to improve on a $1.5 million rescue package. August 27, the ARL continued their experiment with two on-field referees, nominating the Illawarra West reserve grade match as the next step in the progression. It's reported the Gold Coast Seagulls are set to withdraw from the competition after the ARL's failure to improve its offer of $1.5 million. Super League CEO John Rebo predicts the Broncos could be floated on the stock exchange, giving fans a chance to buy a stake in the club. And refs boss Mick Stone criticises the standard of refereeing on the eve of the semi-final, saying it's just not good enough. That's interesting that he said that. I mean, he was a very much a he was probably the last proper referees boss that we had, really, Mick Stone. Um. And, yeah, to come out and say that, I mean, the refereeing must have been pretty poor at the time. Well, yeah, Annesley was a referee. August 29, Rugby League celebrates its 100th birthday. And no one cared. What a way to bring it in. Yeah. The Gold Coast officially withdraw from the Premiership following the failure of the ARL to upgrade its rescue package. 
Yeah, that's the last of the seagulls anyway. ARL chairman Ken Arthurson is admitted to hospital for Tess. Oh, well, I don't remember that. He's, uh, yeah. Obviously, the health, the, the stress is getting to him. Mm. Burning the candle at both ends there and a lot of stress going on. Then again, he, I mean, he was an older gentleman even back then. Yeah. And I guess with the way that the, I mean, the the public relations campaign that everyone was running at the time, he might have just gone in for some regular checkups. Could be. Could very well be just that. Um, August 30, Paul Morgan reveals that News Limited could become the Broncos' major shareholder in a restructure of the club's ownership. Shock horror. Wow, really? No. <laughs> Newcastle West officially withdraw its stake in the Hunter Mariners. Yeah, apparently Newcastle West's loved uh, existing in Newcastle. So yeah. they said, yeah, we're not doing this. <laughs> uh, August 31, the Gold Coast has received rescue officers offers from three private business interests. Gold Coast coach John Harvey appeals to his players to hold off signing with other clubs until the future of their club is clearer. The ARL released a revamped 20-team draw for 1996. It wasn't that much revamped. They used the same system. It just changed around some of the games. Uh, okay. I, I like the uh, idea that a club that is going broke, the coach says, listen, just sign off signing all these giant contracts everyone else is signing. <laughs> so we sort out, you know, the fact that we're broke. Yeah, the fact that we can probably pay you 20 cents in the dollar. Yeah, yeah. September 3, Nick Politis calls for an independent inquiry into the ARL's loyalty payments to clubs. He's really after some of that cash, isn't he's he? Looking for, he's looking for coin wherever he can. He can't half tell mm. he's a car salesman. Mm. <laughs> September 4, ARL Chief Executive John Quayle and Coach Phil Gould admit in an evidence in the New South Wales Industrial Court that they had issued threats over the dropping of Super League players from representative teams. Meanwhile, Super League announces its draw for the 10-team competition to kick off in March 1996. Wow. It's pretty ballsy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. September 5. Norse again emerges candidates for Super League's vacant 10th franchise. They keep coming up, but they keep refusing. They should have done it. Uh, Australian Chairman of Selectors Don Ferner claims in the Industrial Court that Brad Fittler is now a better player than Laurie Daly. Okay. What do you reckon? I don't know. I think Fittler was still a few years away from his best at that stage, and Daly was at his peak. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I tell you what, though, Brad Fittler was a good player even oh, then. No doubt, no doubt. I, I, it's hard to separate them. But, I, I like, even now looking back, I don't think I'd stand up in court and say, yep, definitely, 100%. Yeah. I'd I'd say Fittler was probably about I'd say ninety seven was when he started to become the absolute superstar. Yeah. But Laurie Daly had been since ninety three and just stayed there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Daly was Daly often gets forgotten because of all the players that were around him at the time too, but he was an absolute he was an absolute icon. Oh yeah, I think that definitely gets forgotten, doesn't it? Yeah. And um, a New South Wales legend too. The way he played for New South Wales. And and tough as teak. He mm. played a, played a game, I think, for Australia in that ninety ninety kangaroo tour with a broken arm or a broken wrist. Mm. And he was still out there making tackles with just one hand. Crazy. Um, September six, a deal between Rupert Murdoch and Kerry Packer over TV rights to racing promotes new hopes of a compromise in the league war. 
Super League signing Ian Roberts says he's been approached to play for England in the World Cup. Oh man, I, it's funny because I always joke that one of the the top the top two players that uh, Great Britain's ever produced are Ian Roberts and Bob Fulton because they were both born <laughs> in England. True. Um, I've never heard that he was actually approached to play for England though. I'm not surprised they approached him though. No, he was a great player, really good player. Yeah. Tough too, like, man, he was tough right up until the end of his career as well. Yeah, he was, and damn good mind runner. Yeah. Um, September 11, the international board warns players that they will be kicked out of the World Cup for testing positive to over-the-counter cold and flu preparations containing banned substances. So, I think that would have been uh, pseudoephedrine that yes. they're talking about there. Um, it, was in, actually, it was in most um, like hay fever type mm-hmm. medications. I actually had a, an article that was written by a lower grades player who was on my website a number of years ago who remains anonymous, anonymous, and he was talking about the use of uh, pseudoephedrine um, leading into games in the lower levels and how widespread it was. Um, it must have been pretty widespread at the highest level for them to come out with that. Yeah. That's crazy, and that's the thing too. I mean, early nineties too. There was also a lot of talk amongst players that the use of steroids was pretty getting was getting worse in the game, but no one had really been found guilty of using it. Yeah, and it was a weird. Like it's very different to the drug testing regimes we have in place now, and even the sophistication of it. Um, and back frequency. Then the, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And a lot of that stuff kind of goes out the window during the Super League war as well um, because obviously the the organisations that had signed players to gigantic contracts didn't want to then have to have them sit on the sidelines because they were testing them for drugs. Yeah. Um, the industrial court is told that Bulldogs coach Chris Anderson ordered players to go to a meeting with Super League where they sign contracts without being able to receive advice from lawyers, managers, or other experts. So hearing here that both sides are guilty of being very, very unprofessional. Mm-hmm. September 13, Jared McCracken tells the Industrial Court the club took advantage of the loyalty of its players to get them to sign with Super League. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the whole, that's the whole Super League war, really, that's by both went. sides. Um, the family of referee David Manson is abused after his controversial display in Brisbane semi-final loss to the Bulldogs. Oh, wow. I don't remember that one either. No. Um, September 14, a new legal row brews after Penrith signed South African Rugby Union Centre Peter Muller. What are your favourite Peter Muller uh, memories? Uh, I, I remember hearing about him in 2019. About two o'clock, leading into Christmas. That's all I remember about him, though. That's about it. Yeah. Um, the problem they had, though, with the Panthers is that the South Queensland Crushers claimed to already have a contract signed by him and registered with the ARL. Hopefully they did. <laughs> uh, September 15, Peter Moore announces his retirement as CEO after 25 years at the Bulldogs on the day before his team is due to meet Canberra in a preliminary final. Yeah, it was uh, a sad end to Peter Moore's career at the Bulldogs, really. Yeah. Same day, Super League announced an $18 million sponsorship deal with Nike. That's incredible. And I remember that. They ended up 
all of the jerseys were made by Nike and they all looked very similar. In many cases, it looked like they basically had three different designs and they just Photoshopped team colours into them. Yep, that's pretty much it. Black and white, fill it in with your own colours. Yep, yep. Uh, September 18, Mal Meninga declines an invitation to appear as a guest of the ARL at the last Winfield Cup Grand Final. That's very sad. Mm. Uh, September 19, the Bulldogs' Grand Final preparations are thrown into turmoil with the possibility that coach Chris Anderson may have to testify in court against three of his players. Oh, Five yeah. Canberra players succeed in their court action against the ARL for refusing to consider them for selection in the World Cup side. The ARL implies that they still won't select them, and Laurie Daly is named winner of the Daly M Award. Man, football's still going. It's a, almost a miracle that it kept going, hey? Yeah, it really is. Um, September 20. Arthur Beaton, selected for the Australian team, launches a stunning attack on Super League and indicates he will favour players who have remained loyal to the ARL when selecting Australia's World Cup team. He said... They, the Super League players, went to work for a bloke who gave up his Australian citizenship because it suited him. <laughs> referring to Rupert Murdoch. They mm. knew the consequences when they saw him with Super League, and now it seems they are saying they weren't aware of the consequences. Good on you, Arthur. Yeah. Brad Fittler signs a $4.25 million five-year deal with the Sydney City Roosters, ending months of speculation over his playing future. And that was a sad move, too. I mean, he was always going to stick with the ARL. But to have him leave the Panthers, um, kind of sad for the game, I think. It was, yeah. Because he looked like he was a Penrith ball through and through, and he was, they had a, a big future there. But he was also adamant that he didn't want to leave the ARL. Yeah. Um, with the grand final only three days away, Chris Anderson and four of his players decide they will not give evidence against their teammates in the Super League contract case. That's an interesting one. Yeah. I wonder if he just said, I'm not doing it, and the lawyers had to deal with it. I think that's pretty much what's happened, yeah. Mm. September 22, the Knights and the Mariners decide to go to the New South Wales Supreme Court to decide the future use of Marathon Stadium. <laughs> At this stage... Everyone who's involved in rugby league is now at the Supreme Court or the High Court. Yeah, and the funny thing was, like, every every time you'd watch the news, and you would watch the evening news at 6pm, and you would get updated on everything that was going on in rugby league on, on a day-to-day basis, and it was the headlines at the time. And it, most of the time, they were just walking in and out of the court in Sydney. That's, yeah, that was it. That was the Rugby League highlights for the week. Yeah. Uh, September 24, the Bulldogs complete a remarkable football fairy tale. Another big upset when they downed Manly 17-4 in the grand final. Now, this is one of the grand finals I just remember nothing about. Do you remember much about it? Only a little bit, but yeah, again, not much. Um, mm. It was a pretty close game at half time. That's about all I can remember of it, to be honest. Yeah, it was just one of those footy seasons where it's funny, I I can pick out a bunch of different things from different seasons, but the 95 season, I mean, the Origin Series obviously was fantastic in the World Cup, but the the club season just, it, it kind of just fell by the wayside, weirdly. Yeah. Um, after the grand final, the Australian selectors name 
an ARL-only squad for the Centenary World Cup. And it was a good team. A lot of good Very players. Good team. I think they were helped out by the fact that Andrew Johns um, in the 95 World Cup was about to go from being a very good young, a very handy young player to playing some of the most legendary games he probably ever played in that were in that World Cup. Um, yeah. They had a few players that kicked on in the World Cup, which was interesting. Brad Fittler was magnificent. Jeff Tuvey was magnificent. Um, and yeah, is a, it, it was a good squad when you look back at it, but at the time, um, people wondered how they would go. Uh, yeah, they certainly did, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a much better side than people gave them credit for too. At the time. Yeah, definitely. Because when the competition reunified, there became a lot of conjecture over who should, who should be picked. Mm. Okay, um, September 25, the battle for control of the game begins in the federal court in Sydney. Justice James Burchett hears opening arguments from News Limited QC Robert Giles. News Limited brought the action against the ARL and the New South Wales Rugby League claiming the five-year loyalty agreements signed by individual clubs in November 1994 and February 1995 were in breach of the Trade Practices Act. Wow, that's an interesting one. Because, like, and now that we're in the court system... Now things are starting to get serious. Like there's been a lot of talk, a lot of bluster, a lot of public relations stuff, but now we're starting to. This is the real fight. This is the real fight for control of the game. And yeah, now we're starting to have to abide by court rulings. That's right. We're starting to see some actual, I suppose, a bit of clarity, I guess, starting to come over some of this conjecture. Not yeah. much, but some. Yeah. Uh, September 26th, Australia's named favourites to win the World Cup despite the absence of Super League players. September 27, former Commonwealth Attorney General and Federal Court Judge and now leading QC for the ARL, Bob Ellicott, makes his opening address to the Federal Court accusing News Limited of a blitz attack. He said, News Limited have knowingly plundered and pillaged property and benefits of property of the ARL and its clubs. It was like the Visigoths coming in and wrecking something that was never theirs and pulling it apart. The Federal Court is shown a detailed war room chart which outlined when and where players and clubs were to be targeted by News Limited during their week-long blitz. Bulldogs captain Terry Lamb and Lock Jim Dimmick give strongly conflicting evidence to the Industrial Court. And the London Broncos sacked Julian O'Neill after he appears in court on a two-year-old drink-driving charge. It's pretty incredible. Julian O'Neill was a great, great player. People forget that. It's a shame his career kind of went off the rails a bit. Yeah, he's, he's, he had a bit of an issue with his own um, toilet behaviour. Yeah. Just needed to be potty trained. He would have been fine. <laughs> September 28, the Federal Court is told that Ken Arthurson was to be appointed the Rugby League Commissioner for Australia and John Quayle, a director of Super League, as sweeteners to encourage ARL to accept News Limited's plans for the game. The next day... Bob Ellicott claims News Limited should be liable for damages because they induced eight clubs to breach their loyalty agreements with the ARL. September 30, Peter Louis ends speculation that he was to switch to Super League by signing a loyalty agreement with the ARL. Peter Louis is a, one of the forgotten coaches. He, I mean, he did a pretty good job with the, the squad that he had. Yeah, he, I mean, he made that bare side one of the, one of the strongest teams in the 
in the unified competitions. Yeah, and probably, I mean, I dare say one of the top three best teams to never win a premiership. Oh yeah, they, they were, and and that was that they were quite good for a majority of the nineties. Mm, mm. Never to never even get to a grand final. Crazy. October 3, New Zealand claim in the federal court that their military-style assault on the game was necessary to break the ARL's monopoly. North Sydney is outraged by the decision of North Sydney Council to block the construction of permanent floodlighting at the ground. Oh, that's an interesting one. Hmm. Um, October 4, it's reported that St George is set to defect to Super League. Wallaby centre Matt O'Connor announces his decision to join the Hunter Mariners. And the worst kept secret in the game is revealed when Manly Ford Ian Roberts and acknowledges that he is gay. Now I remember when that happened. It it didn't make it. It was kind of like uh, when the referee and I believe it it was a Matt Chechen that I came think out so, as yeah. yeah. It was kind of met the same way. It wasn't. It was like oh okay, you know. And and that's one of the great things about rugby league is it's always been inclusive. And, you know, like, Ian Roberts coming out as gay, like, as a supporter, and I was a young supporter at the time, I didn't know he was gay, but it was like, all right, whatever. Yeah, um, must have been harrowing for him. Yeah. In the the weeks, and possibly even months leading up to that point where he decided, "I I need to say this. Yeah, I'd love to know what it was that prompted him to do it like if it was just the right time for him as a person in his life where he got to that place where he he felt like it was it was time that he wanted to let people know or something um you know it was a good thing and and i think you know it was a a trailblazing moment for him and for the game absolutely especially i suppose at that time too i mean it's not that far ago but there was still quite a bit of homophobia around and it does stem from those ads you mentioned earlier that were on in the early 90s. And it was, yeah. if you've never seen it before, go to YouTube. They're still there. There's a Grim Reaper, and he's just bowling, bowling balls down and knocking down people just standing there, little kids, mums, dads, just every random person. And he was just, you know, he was AIDS, killing people. So that, yeah. that mentality was just in people's minds, I think. Yeah, it really was. And, I mean, t- a terrible thing to have to deal with. You know, and and I I I think it was a moment. And looked, I'd love to talk to Ian Roberts about how um, he felt it was taken by people when he did come out as gay, and um, you know the reactions he personally got. I, I think from a, a fan's point of view, and as I said, I was a young fan at the time. Um, it was just it it was a good thing that, like, from a, from a fan's point of view, it seemed like he didn't get. Uh, a negative reaction for it, I guess, is the, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and no, I don't, I don't recall any negativity about it, which is, yeah. which is good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, October five, Super League chief John Rebo tells the Industrial Court that he believes all top players will be playing in his competition within three years. Wow, that's an interesting one. Uh, October eight, Johnny Raper swears he will never watch in George again if they switch to Super League. <laughs> I love Johnny Raper. Here's some random news. Mm-hmm. Uh, England beats Australia in the first game of the World Cup, 20 to 16. I bet that really worried the uh, Australian Rugby League. 
Um, it's it's a thing that started to happen though, and it's happened for a long time. Australia loses the first game to Great Britain or England, and then they go on to win series. But yeah, that's true. Uh, October ten, Rupert Murdoch attacks the ARL administration, claiming the organisation will collapse regardless of the outcome of legal proceedings in the federal court. He obviously doesn't know a great deal about rugby league and its capacity to stand up in the face of absolutely everything. Exactly. Uh, October 12, John Rebo admits his dissatisfaction with the administration of the game led him to News Limited and Super League. Uh, He then says the day after that he received legal advice when he started pushing the Super League concept that News Limited had a 90% chance of winning a legal challenge to the ARL loyalty contracts. 90%. 90%. Would you gamble on 90%? Oh, probably not. Especially when, you're, especially when you're going to be challenging the the you know the, the administration. I've got to say, I would gamble Rupert Murdoch's money on 90%. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I suppose if Rupert's paying for it, that's a fair point. Yeah. Um, October 14... South Sydney's financial future is placed in jeopardy after a five-year, $5 million proposal is rejected by South Juniors. Wow. October 16, Gold Coast President Des Bolster claims the ARL would be in breach of its own loyalty agreements if they were to award the Gold Coast licence to another consortium. John Rebo claims... one that had money. <laughs> yeah, that's true. John Rebo claims the ARL will not be able to run a 12 or 14-team competition in 1996. He says it will, It was not an objective of Super League to cause the collapse of the ARL, but he now believes that that will occur. And you can understand why they were thinking that. Yeah. Um, mostly because they probably spent all their money by that stage. Yeah, yeah. October 17, John Rebo tells the federal court that he believed the Broncos were more valuable to the ARL than the league was to the Broncos. Wow. Wow. That doesn't sit well with me now. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Brisbane, bigger than the Beatles. Yeah, just ask them. Rebo admits he is surprised to hear that Super League's own financial projections state that their competition may remain in major debt, even after five years of competition. October 18, Peter Moore tells the federal court he received a death threat after his club was given notice of possible expulsion from the New South Wales Rugby League earlier in the year. Moore maintains he remained loyal to ARL and had no discussions with the Super League until the Bulldogs players had signed up. He produces a letter written to Prime Minister Paul Keating in 94 expressing his concern about the threat of a breakaway competition. Super League announced a $5.5 million upgrade of North Queensland's home ground Stockland Stadium. October 19, ARL Chief Executive John Quayle walks out of the federal court after former board member Peter Moore tells Justice Burchett, I respect the ARL, but I don't respect the present-day custodians. Wow, that's very personal. And once again, it comes down to, um, you know, lifelong friendships and things like that were broken down during the Super League War. Exactly. Uh, October 20, Justice Burchett lifts lifts suppression orders on player and coach payments as well as on corporate budgets for Super League and the ARL. The long list of payments revealed that Super League's highest paid players, Laurie Daly, Bradley Clyde and Ricky Stewart, are on annual salaries of $600,000 with sign-on payments of $100,000 each. 
Paul Harrigan tops the ARL list with a sign-on fee of 650000 and annual payments of 350000 So he's getting a million in his first year. Yeah, not bad. ARLQC Jim Spiegelman tells the court that the, the New South Wales Rugby League saved the Canberra Raiders during a financial crisis in 1991. A news limited budget revealed to the federal court reveals the organisation expects to lose $100 million during the first five years of Super League. Yeah, because, I mean, it was never about making money in the first few years anyway. No. You know, and, and the money that they spent on Super League, they were going to get back from pay TV. And we'll have got back many times over from pay TV since. Exactly. So they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, October 21, John Quayle says payments to players totaling over $25 million have all been covered by the Nine Network and Optus Vision. Who were obviously trying to protect their own media asset that they've purchased in their rights for the rugby league. Yep. Uh, October 22, Australia's World Cup management places a ban on media questioning players about the ARL Super League financial packages released in the federal court. They just wouldn't have wanted the distraction, I guess. And Yeah, that's a massive distraction. Mm. Um, October 24, Alan Jones launches a scathing attack on Newcastle coach Malcolm Riley, who negotiated a $2.3 million contract with the ARL. Now, I wanted to bring this one up because of Jones's comments. Mm-hmm. Remember that Alan Jones became a coach and involved in rugby league in 1991 as coach of Balmain. Mm-hmm. I shudder every time I think of that. So he's only been a coach. He's only been in rugby league for four years. Yeah. Malcolm Riley, test legend for the Palms, okay, played in the 70s and the 80s and been a coach everywhere. Mm-hmm. Alan Jones says of Malcolm Riley, he's a blow-in. He's been here a handful of months. It's just unbelievable that A, the bloke could take it and B, he could so barefacedly continue to take it. Thanks, Alan. (laughs) And like, you know, there's some people you can say some stuff about. Malcolm really isn't one of them. (laughs) Never, ever should anyone be saying Malcolm Riley's a blow. And I don't care what you think of him as a man or a player or a coach or whatever. He's done his time in rugby league, even in 1995. He dedicated oh. much of his life to it. To have some rugby union broadcasting blow-in to call him a blow-in. My ah, God. That's incredible. And, you know, if Alan Jones said that in the same room as Malcolm really, Malcolm really could just have to look at him. And he, he wouldn't even have to say anything. He'd just look at him. And Jones would shit himself. <laughs> October 25, a consortium led by Gold Coast property developer Brian Ray and including Kerry Packer withdraws its bid for an ARL license on the Gold Coast. Budgets revealed, uh, budgets released by the federal court reveal the ARL has spent $11.5 million on nine Great Britain players. Whoa. Court figures also reveal more than 50 new millionaires have been created by the Super League war. And, and there we go. 50 new millionaires. Imagine... Imagine if this time next year there were 50 new millionaires in rugby league. That's insane. Would there even be 50 millionaires in the game today? Well, I mean, in terms of, like, players, I I wonder, I mean... I don't think so. I wouldn't think so. Like, definitely year on year, definitely not. No. But... Overall career earnings, man, I, w- I wouldn't think so. 
No. No, they wouldn't. No. I don't think so either. Um, October 26th, Australian coach Bob Thornton will ignore attempts to have him appear before the disciplinary committee. Oh. I don't know what that's over. October 27, the Supreme Court rules that the Hunter Mariners have no rights to use Marathon Stadium. Well, that's been sorted out. <laughs> October 28, Australia wins the World Cup final at Wembley Stadium 16-8. to Andrew Johns is named MVP of the final series. And he was incredible. He was. Andrew Johns was like, if you watch some of the games he was playing in that World Cup, legendary performances. It's kind of a shame that... Uh, the 95 World Cup was overshadowed so much because um, the things that Andrew Johns was doing in that series, it, it kind of, I mean, he became a legend in yeah. that World Cup. Um, after obtaining updated figures on pay top-ups, the Sydney Morning Herald reveals that Paul Harrigan's payments would top $3.3 million. Wow. That's incredible. October 29. A Super League bid to assume tenancy of North Sydney Oval is uncovered by the Herald. Wow, that's an interesting one too. October 30, Penrith Chief Executive Roger Cowan tells the Federal Court his club joined Super League because it would have lost millions of dollars by staying loyal to the ARL. I wonder how we worked that one out, whether mm. it was just a worse deal. might have just flat out been a worse deal from the ARL. Most likely, yeah. Um, October 31, Cowboys chairman Ron McLean admits to the federal court that he misled his own newspaper over the club's decision to join with Super League. That's interesting. <laughs> he must have had the newspaper up there, eh? Yeah. Uh, November 1. Warren Ryan is the frontline contender to replace Tim Sheens as coach of Canberra in 1997. Uh, Cronulla chairman Peter Gow tells the federal court that Cronulla applied for a Super League license on February 1, which would include St. George and Illawarra. Yeah, so the it, so the license was for the entire region. Looks like they're going to be a South Sydney mm. franchise. Um, the state government announced a ticket tape parade through the streets of Sydney for Australia's victorious World Cup team. I don't remember that. Neither do I. Uh, the federal court is told that News Limited executives discussed excluding the ARL from the Super League concept about three months before presenting a proposal. Ken Arthurson says Australia's World Cup team would be an, would beat an equivalent Super League team if such a contest took place. Now, this, was one, this was one of the the things that was tossed up a lot during that time. Like, would this team beat this one? You know, would the full-strength team be better or worse? It's an interesting one. I think it was a... The reason you could look back at it is because that Australian team had so many players that, like, say, an Andrew Johns... Who turned? Who went from being a good player to a legend during that that World Cup? Um, it would have been an interesting game, and they talked about playing it too. Yeah, they really did. Um, it's a pity it never took place. Mm. It's interesting to see how it would have gone. Yeah, definitely. Uh, where are we? Are? November three. Michael Beattie warns that Saints must join Super League or face extinction. Was that was wrong. Yeah. November 5, Ricky Stewart offers to put his house on a contest between the best of Super League and ARL teams and calls on ARL chairman Ken Alisson to put up or shut up. <laughs> November 6, 
Auckland chairman Sir Roger Douglas tells the federal court the club was forced to sign the ARL's loyalty agreement or face being kicked out of the competition. He also said the club had to go to Super League once its players signed up, otherwise a news limited online New Zealand Rugby League would have taken over the franchise. Yes, yeah, and that's what we've been talking about. They basically would sign everyone else up and then say to the club, well, we've got all your players and your coach. What are you going to do now? Yeah. Uh, November 7, the federal court hears that News Limited considered undermining Kerry Packer's attempts to start his own version of Super League. Super League unveiled plans for a worldwide competition. John Quayle dismisses claims by former captain Mal Meninga that the ARL would die within three years. Oh, Mal. <laughs> Uh, November 9, the federal court hears that star players and News Limited execs travelled under false names while setting up Super League in March, as you said. Yeah, that was a really interesting one, I found. Yeah. November 12, the Telegraph publishes a list of 40 top players whose immediate playing futures lie in the hands of the courts. Wow. Uh, Parramatta Chief Executive Dennis Fitzgerald tells the federal court he believes 200 of Super League's players would not get a run in a good first-grade side. <laughs> to be fair, he's probably right, but there was a lot in the ARL as well. Yeah. Um, the federal court is told the Sydney City Roosters threatened to call an independent inquiry into the ARL because it had treated the club shabbily. How amazing is that? <laughs> in a surprise decision, St. George directors vote to turn their back on Super League and remain with the ARL. St. George would have been massive for them to get. Yeah. Uh, November 16, Roy Masters reports that secret peace talks between Ken Cowley and Ken Arthurson have brought the two warring parties close to peace. A plan put forward by News Limited would mean that the ARL would, remain, would retain control of the game, but some of the traditional clubs would disappear. Illawarra Chief Executive Bob Millwood tells the Federal Court that many of Super League's best players are past their best and could not get a run in any first-grade side. <laughs> Doubling down. Yeah. Uh, November 17, a revised Super League plan indicates that Sydney City, Manly and Parramatta are the only ARL clubs that would survive should a compromise be reached with the ARL. ARL clubs are quick to reject such a plan. Bernie Gurr, Chief of the Roosters, claims that Super League have signed less than half the top players in Australia. Um, I guess he's probably technically right. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'll go with that. Probably technically. I think you I think you summed it up well there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, November 19, Kerry Packer secures the free-to-air rights to all Super League games. That's all and Kerry cares about, is just right. TV rights. He got his toy. November 20... Ray Beatty, chairman of the Bears, tells the federal court the rugby league is being torn apart by the current turmoil and that other sports, namely rugby union, will benefit. Optus Vision chief executive Jeff Cousins insists his pay TV station will not be giving any ground in the dispute between the ARL and Super League. It had been suggested that Optus would agree to televise second-rate games. Wow, that's an interesting one. Mm. Uh, November 21... Peace hopes fade between the ARL and News Limited after intense negotiations between Ken Arthurson and Ken Cowley failed to reach a compromise. Yeah, and that was never going to happen with the court cases going on. Yeah. November 23, an Adelaide team is expected to take up the vacant 10th Super League franchise. And November 24, Channel 9 Super League deal is formalised. Under the agreement, Channel 9 will screen both ARL and Super League games in 1996. 
Uh, November 26th, Laurie Daly urges Super League not to compromise with the ARL. So Georgia Super League signings, Gordon Tallis, Jason Stevens, Nathan Brown, and Anthony Mundine, all of whom remain under contract to the club, face legal action for refusing to attend training with the club. Gee, that's a bit nasty. Going to yeah, Port, not turn up to training. Yeah. Uh, New South Wales Rugby League board member David Leckie faces replacement following Channel 9's deal with Super League. November 29, um, club delegates and Super League executives from Australia, Europe, and New Zealand meet in LA. And on November 30, the ARL's pay TV deal with Optus Vision remains the biggest hurdle to peace in the long-running World News Limited, according to Super League chief John Rebo. The ARL announced an operating profit of more than $14 million. Which I don't even know how that's possible. Yeah, got me beat. Unless, yeah. unless they, all that money that they spent all year just was sponsorship money and the rest was just money from gate takings and TV rights, but still, it, shows, it seems like too high a figure. Yeah, definitely. Um, December 1, Australia's World Cup winning outfit are treated to a ticker tape parade through the streets of Sydney. The Australian reports that Anthony Mundine is on the verge of turning his back on rugby league and taking up a career in boxing. Nah, you won't do that. Nah, won't happen. ARL chairman Ken Arthurson gives evidence in the federal court. And on three days later, he tells the federal court he has no objection to News Limited starting a competition as long as it doesn't adversely affect the established competition. How's how's that even possible? That's like saying, there's one ice cream. I own that ice cream. I have no problem with you having a bite of, of any ice cream you like, so long as it's not my ice cream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Arthurson tells the court he will quit rather than ask clubs to merge against their will. Super League announced that their 1996 matches will have a potential audience of 220 million people throughout Asia, China, and Japan. Super League are always pushing this thing about televising the game in China and Japan. Yeah, and like... It, it was just all PR. It, that's all it was. Uh, John Quayle gave, gives evidence in the federal court, and he warns that a New Zealand victory in the court battle would be devastating for the game. Former magazine editor and publisher Ita Buttrose is tipped to become the first woman member of the New South Wales Rugby League board. That's so random. That just came from nowhere. Yeah. Um... December 7, the federal court hears that Rupert Murdoch's Foxtel have yet to sign a deal to secure the pay TV rights to Super League. Which is hilarious. He doesn't even have the rights to broadcast his own show. Yeah, I'm sure that that was a big a big problem for them. Whoops. The uh, New South Wales Rugby League appoints new board members, Dennis Fitzgerald, Bob Millwood and Ray Beatty. New South Wales Rugby League official Paul Broughton, St George's, Laurie Doust, Parramatta's, uh, Billy Rayner and refereeing official Ian McCall are elected life members of the league. Ken Arthurson recommends a six-man subcommittee to be formed to find a solution to the game's turmoil. Um, December 10, Brad Fittler says he will throw in the Australian captaincy if it means an end to the rugby league war. <laughs> and, well, I guess that shows how important that captaincy was still at that well, time. true, but I don't think the war was over who's captaining Australia. No. <laughs> I like what you're trying to do there, Bradley, but uh, yeah, you you just you didn't need to do any of that, mate. <laughs> just stay quiet. <laughs> just keep cashing them checks. Just keep cashing them checks. That's right. 
Um, December 13, the Adelaide Rams are announced as the 10th franchise holder in Super League's proposed competition in 1996. John Rubo dismisses lingering suggestions of a peace deal with the ARL. Bob Ellicott asked the federal court to prohibit News Limited starting up a Super League competition anywhere in the world to prevent inventive minds from circumventing court orders by playing matches overseas. <laughs> inventive minds. Uh, the Supreme Court grants in Georgia a restraining order against four players attempting to defect to Super League. Bloody oh, yeah. hell. After 51 sitting days and 4,875 pages of transcript, the federal court case of News Limited versus Australia Rugby League closes. Justice James Burchett retires to consider his ruling, expected in late January. St. George claimed they will now not release new coach Rod Reddy, despite his name being linked with the Adelaide Rams. And former Bowman and Test fullback Gary Jack announces his retirement in order to coach Rod Eastwood in the Metropolitan Cup. <laughs> Retired. That's pretty funny. December 17, the Sun Herald reports that the Sydney Bulldogs are set to release Dean Pay, Jim Dimmick, Jared McCracken and Jason Smith from their contracts regardless of the outcome of the industrial court action against the club. Mm. The, all four are tipped to join Parramatta. I wonder, I wonder if it just come down to money. Like They were like, look, we can fight this in court and then have to pay them. Or we can just let him go. I think that's pretty pretty much what it comes down to. I think they figured that there's plenty more players out there. Might as well just let them go. Mm. Uh, December 18, Ken Arthurson is replaced as chairman of the game's international body. Gold Coast businessman Jeff Muller steps in to save the embattled Gold Coast Seagulls while ARL Chief Executive John Quayle announces the club will have a new name, the Gladiators. The Gladiators. They had that name for, you know, a few days. A few days, yeah. News Limited increases its stake in the Brisbane Broncos from 32 to 37%. Yeah, I wonder what it is now. Yeah, good question. Uh, December 19, Super League announces a series of rule changes for their proposed competition. We don't know what they are, though. December 21. Wasn't oh, one of on. the rules, like it was, uh, they would allow forward passes on the they, they were talking about rule changes they might bring in. One of them was like they'd allow a forward pass on the fifth tackle, and like some of them were kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I mean they'll try anything to try and make so have a differentiation, I guess, between them and the the established game. Yeah, so that they could say like they were looking at all the possibilities, so that if they weren't allowed to have a rugby league competition, maybe it was different enough so that it could be called a different sport. There was some weird stuff going on. Oh, there was. Uh, four Sydney Bulldogs players, Jim Dimmick, Jason Smith, Jared McCracken and Dean Pay, are released from their Super League contracts after Justice Brian Hill and the New South Wales Industrial Court announced that they were induced by unfair and unconscionable conduct to sign. The Hunter Mariners signed a short-term lease at Newcastle Sports Ground. Uh, December 22, Rod Reddy quits the St George Coast to sign with Super League outfit the Adelaide Rams. Penrith launched court action against the Roosters. Uh, the Roosters signing of Brad Fittler and Matt Singh, who Penrith claim are still contracted to the club. And Graham Eady is appointed the first coach of the Gold Coast Gladiators with John Harvey, the coaching director. Wow. December 24, the Telegraph announces that Manly prop Mark Carroll signed a lifetime contract with the Seagulls for a reported $750,000. Oh, yeah. December 29, Graham Eady walks out on the Gold Coast after just seven days as coach of the club. How bad was that place? <laughs> Yeah, he must have been like, 
I wonder why it was. I wonder, like, if he was like, oh, this isn't real. <laughs> yeah, what's going on here? Is anyone yeah. getting paid yet? Yeah. And December 31, it's reported that Super League are investigating a doomsday option of cutting teams to 11 players, eradicating scrums, permitting forward pass on the six tackle in anticipation of a legal defeat in the federal court. So essentially trying to create a different game. There you go. And, and like, that's how crazy rugby league was in 1995, that that was a legitimate thing that was going on. It's crazy. And the last one here, former St. George coach Brian Smith claims there's a smell of Newtown about the place. (laughs) He's talking about the Dragons. That's pretty rough. That's very rough. Mm. So there we have it. That's a big 1995 season right there. Yeah, what a crazy year. Um, Just all administration. Yeah, very little to do with rugby league at all. Um, So much much money just spent on lawyers. Yeah, and so much more wasted. Yeah, and like the death of objective journalism in Australia, really. That's probably the saddest one of all, because most of the other stuff was, was... Rectified to, to you know to most extent, I guess. Yeah. But the journalism one just ne- it never recovered. No, no, it didn't. And it's uh, I mean, you look at it now, it's it's that's the big mess that was left behind. <laughs> yeah, and they just think that this is what works now, so we're just going to keep doing it. Pretty much. Um. Yeah. So it's pretty horrible stuff, but uh, that's a pretty lengthy episode. Hmm. So we might just wrap this one up so we don't bash your, bash your ears any further. And make sure you follow us on Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on YouTube. Subscribe and like all the videos. Subscribe on your uh, on your podcast listening device that you have. And we'll catch you later. <laughs>